Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production and games development. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is Control and Annihilation. In Control, developed by Remedy Games and released in 2021, you play as Jesse Faden and you become the new director for the Federal Bureau of Control. The blurb for this game is, After a secretive agency in New York is invaded by an otherworldly threat, you become the new director struggling to regain control. This supernatural third-person action-adventure game will challenge you to master a combination of supernatural abilities, modifiable layouts, and, re- and reactive environments while fighting through a deep and unpredictable world. And Annihilation, written for screen and directed by Alex Garland, released in 2018 and adapted from the novel written by Jeff Vandermeer, Lena, played by Natalie Portman, a biologist and former soldier, joins a mission to uncover what happened to her husband, Oscar Isaac, inside Area X a sinister and mysterious phenomenon that is expanding across the American coastline. Once inside, the expedition discovers a world of mutated landscapes and creatures, as dangerous as it is beautiful, that threatens both their lives and their sanity. This one, we're really diving into the genre of new weird, and I'm so here for it. New weird is a great, great descriptor for it. You could also go with uh, cosmic horror. Yeah. Are you familiar? Because like new new weird in itself is a specific literary genre. I know, I know of it as a, as an aesthetic more than a, yes. a genre, I guess. But yeah, no, that one and like, um, I mean, th- that makes sense too, right? Because like thinking about it in terms of an aesthetic, even when you look in look at control, there's a lot of moments in control that are like specifically directed, like like a kind of like DOP shot from a film. Yeah, where like you come in, uh, the title, the font will come up for the chapter. You, you know, if you're in like research division or oh, control. the super titles, the way they come up, the super titles, I fucking love that. And usually, whenever those those oh. happen, it's framed in a specific way that the shot and the background, and everything looks insane. And you have like bodies floating in the air, but like it, they all kind of look hand picked to be in the right position to like. Yeah, it's very crafted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it it works in the sense that like you know the story and the theme in the world, all those ingredients are set up for this, but. It's also like, well, what's going to look sick for the camera and for yeah. the viewer? Yeah. It's a kind of combination of both and it kind of lends itself well to uh, like what new weird is. There's there's something about the way uh, Remedy has made Control and like there are other games certainly, but Control was the first one I saw maybe other than Quantum Break. Also very quick, uh, I did just give a brief premise, but we'll dive into it more. Again, spoiler warning, same as any episode. Just huge, huge spoilers. We're, I'm going to talk about stuff that even if you've played Control, you may not have figured out. There's, there's, there's spoilers so all much the way stuff down. And, and so much like the more you look at anything, the more you can find out and the more it's kind of like, you know, you can find details and you find backstory and context and history. Yeah. And there's so much like further context and story and history yeah. behind what they're creating that you can find, but also so much that's just kind of like inferred without like yeah. explicitly... The world building is... Oh Unreal. my god, it's incredible! Did you play the DLCs as well? Yes, yeah. yeah. I finished. Uh, it's long. It, the The second one, Foundation, is like quite long. For, yeah, for I, DLC. Yeah. I didn't realize that there was going to be because you know you you finish a game, and then you play a Foundation, and that added so much more to, to, really to just like the history that. of it. It the was so interesting. Most DLC, generally, and like this is a sweeping generalization, is not always true. But most DLC, up until about I don't know five years ago, maybe 
was very clearly designed as like, this is cut content. It's content that we couldn't finish in time. It's part of the game and it takes place somewhere before the end of the game. But with Foundation, they're like, no, no, this is post-game content. This is this is designed for you to have finished the main story. Now we're going to give you something yeah. new. Because there's three main DLCs, right? There's the Foundation, which is after you finish the game. There's the Alan Wake DLC, uh, which is awesome. And, you know, they've just announced Alan Wake 2. So I'm super, I haven't played Alan Wake 1. I've seen a bunch of videos. I'm going to dive into it. I'm super keen to see... They remastered it. It's quite good. Yeah. They they fixed a lot of the janky gameplay from the first one. Like, the remaster, honestly, is just to to make it more modern feeling. But they didn't... They didn't. When you play it, you'll see what I mean. Very Remedy. They didn't need to do a remaster of most of the mechanics or the story. I feel like a lot of remasters... And, like, uh, I saw some articles this week about System Shock being, like, a lot mm. of the me- game mechanics haven't been changed because like that kind of is what the original game is. And yeah. I'm kind of like, well, if you were going to remaster it, if that still works, then yeah, don't yeah. don't fix what isn't broken, right? Yeah, don't fix what isn't broken. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super keen for Alan Wake 2 and to see like if some of the control tie-in uh, shows up in that game. Oh, it definitely will. Because like... The- there, I don't want to spoil anything for you if you aren't aware, but yes, 1,000% well, they are connected. Yeah. And, and I- the order would realistically go uh, Alan Wake... Control Alan Wake Two, and there'd be three or four things in between that you could kind of shuffle in wherever you want. But yeah. they are they are unequivocally related based on the most recent trailer. And um, uh, you know, I had a look on the Remedy website, and like they have confirmed they are actively developing Control Two. Oh so yeah, I'm yeah. so keen. They to would that. have started that the minute they put this down. Like, oh yeah, it, it's funny because a lot. Of, I think a lot of games companies they 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 tend to iterate. And it's really obvious when they're iterating. It's not a bad thing. I don't want to make this sound like it's a bad thing, right? Most video and com- video game companies will iterate. So, for example, I really like the Horizon series on PlayStation, right? So, you got, like, um, the first Horizon had some great mechanics. There's a lot of things that worked, a lot of things that weren't great. When they do the sequel, they're clearly telling the second part of a story, and they just they iterate. They upgrade the mechanics. They make things bigger and better, and they go like that. Remedy does that on a level that I don't know anybody else is doing. Well, you know what else? Because I, I looked them up. Remedy is a Swedish uh, game company. Because you're looking at it and you, th- and you think like, um, you know, it might be Canadian or American based on just like the context of what the, the stories mm. and the characters and the journeys are. But no, it's uh, Swedish and they've got another studio in Finland as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a weird connection we're going to get into here. Uh, I mean, I could do it now, I guess. It, it doesn't really matter where in the podcast this happens which might be related. This gets weird. Anyway. Time is a construct. It Time is a construct. It's all a flat circle. So the studio is based in Sweden. Uh, okay, so the order this goes in, Jeff Vandermeer uh, writes, Oh, we're, we're bringing... We're, bringing we're going all the way in. roundabout. Yeah, yeah so the yeah, whole thing go. is like, these are not directly adaptations of one another, right? So Annihilation, the film, is not an adaptation hey, in any way you, of control. You could argue... That the meteor and the whole alien thing that comes down in Annihilation is an altered world this event. Is precisely what I'm about to do. Yep. So, the Jeff Vandermeer, right? And you might pick up the name there is uh, a little bit Dutch. Okay, so there's a if you certain part of the world, right? Dutch. And, and again, just a reminder: this is the author for the novel. Of this Annihilation. is the author for the novels, right? And the novel, the novel Annihilation, is the first in a trilogy called the Southern Reach trilogy. I need to, I need to read them because apparently, you do because like, I'm going to melt your brain really in a good. second. Yeah. So, Jeff Vandermeer, Dutch-sounding name. I didn't look up if he's actually Dutch or if he lives in the Netherlands. I didn't look that up, but Vandermeer is very clearly like a Netherlands-type name, right? 
So you got a Dutch, that's European, Sweden's in Europe, sort of, Nordic, it counts, right? Blah, 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 blah. There's something in there about sometime around 2014, 2015, which is when the book Annihilation was first published. There was a lot of thoughts happening in that part of the world around uh, like, yeah, cosmic horror, this this new weird, this this element was really, really common, right? I also like the, uh, like, like um, in... I mean, Annihilation kind of dives into it, but not explicitly. But the the type of cosmic horror where it's not like a huge, like big bad thing. It's just like there's just like lots of small, like environmental things happening, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is it gets it gets a little bit and like and the, and the right? psychological stuff. It's as psychological. Well. It's it's it, the reason it's cosmic horror is that the adversary, if there is one, the antagonist is so inhuman as to be fully unknowable. Yeah. And that is terrifying, right? The, the horror itself comes from the the lack of descriptions. Your own human imagination is doing a better job of freaking you out than anything the author could come up with. Which is interesting when you think about control when you're playing as Jesse and you have Polaris with you and all kind of like in you or, or like as yeah. part of you where like if, you, if you're taking that and again, like this feeds into like the hiss and... Um, you know, Jesse's brother, Dylan, and, and everything that ties in there. But, like, Polaris is basically the same thing as the antagonist in the game. But in this context, it's meant to be, like, your helpful it's friend. It's, like, supposedly your friend. Like, right? like yeah. guiding uh, mentor. I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know. I, I, it's like a... Uh, look, if you wanted to get more accurate, you might call it a cancerous growth. I mean, yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's, considering... Yeah, because, again... Dylan's been corrupted by the hiss since they were kids with the event with the with the slide projector, and ever since Jesse has had Polaris, they've they've both had their own separate paths, but dealing with like the yeah, it's all connected, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this this whole thing is like this this new weird this cosmic horror. It's all kind of related, and you can see that if if Jeff Vandermeer is writing this book and uh, the manuscript is picked up by Paramount, they decide they're going to buy the rights, they're going to do it. They get Alex Garland, who's hot off the presses of Ex Machina. Yep. Incredible film. And they're going to work together to do Annihilation, right? But but Alex Garland hasn't read the sequel books because the sequel books don't exist yet, right? So he's only... And, and the, the movie... I mean, I suppose like if you really wanted to, you could do a follow-up of different characters and set later, but the movie really you acts can't. as you its can't. own. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you, you, you can't do a sequel to Annihilation that is also an adaptation of... Uh, the second book. The second book. You can't, right? They, could, could you do a follow-up like set in that same world from the book, but not specifically adapted from the second book? Yes. Like, 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 if, like if you, if you do, do a, a sequel new, to Annihilation, the film. Like a new entry into that world. Yeah. Well, no. And no? I'll, without spoiling it, no. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. Okay. So, so the second book hasn't been written yet. The movie Annihilation is happening at roughly the same time. And you can do the math on this by looking at when the game came out and et cetera, et cetera. At, at somewhere around those same sort of times... Uh, they are at Remedy, and it's this one guy who I did look this up just a second ago, Sam Sam Lake. And Sam Lake... Wait, isn't Sam Lake a character in Alan Wake? Yes, he is. And this is where it's going to get really fucking weird as we get deeper in here. It's very meta. So Sam Lake... Oh, he's the creative director. He's the creative he's director. He's the creative director for Remedy Entertainment. Now, he's going to be in the second Alan Wake game. Not only that, he's the face of Max Payne. So if you've ever wondered... This is so weird. Why there are characters in other Remedy games that look like Max Payne, it's because the face of Max Payne is Sam Lake. 
But of course, Rockstar owns the rights to Max Payne, not Remedy. So he can't be a character called Max Payne, but that's okay. Because they can use his likeness because it's his his likeness. His actual likeness. (laughs) Oh my God. So he gets to play a different character. So yes, he, he is, and this is, okay, so. This is nuts. And like what it, I'm getting it's, to so, here. it's so benign, but I fucking love it. When you start peeling away the layers, you're like, oh my God, right? Okay, so he is in the throes of creating a game called Control. And yep. it wasn't called that originally. It was called AWE, which in the game is a reference to Altered, Altered World, World events. events. And same with there's other stuff in the game like Objects of Power, OOPs. OOPs, oops, right? Yep. There's a whole thing in here where they give these little acronyms. So the original name for the game was going to be called AWE or OR, right? And it was it's a double entendre again. I mean, that, that would have worked. Works quite well, doesn't it? Yeah. You automate, you're like, oh, I get if, it. if you're thinking about like, because a lot of like marketing, like trying to think of a good catchy name that encapsulates what the thing is. Funnily That's enough. kind of it. Um, I've been watching uh, Tim Kane, like original creative director who made uh, Fallout 1, has yep. been putting videos up on YouTube about uh, like stories about his development and what he's gone through, all this kind of stuff. I was watching one of them about how they named Fallout and they all came together and like everyone just kind of like put up a whole whole list and suggestions mm. of words and like Fallout being the one that they went with. One word, two syllables, good uh, encapsulation of what the game is. Both awe and control work really well in that sense in my opinion. Oh, 100%. 100%. So the... I don't. I didn't read into the reasons why, but they went with the name Control instead. However, the sequel to Annihilation comes out around about the time that Control is in late stage development, right? So I'm not going to say that this is definitely related, but I wouldn't put it past somebody at Remedy, maybe Sam Lake, was reading the sequel to Annihilation. It's called Authority. The main character's name, his nickname is Control. I love this. And it's about, it's very different from the film. The sequel book, and this this is not a huge spoiler because it is honestly is the, very Is the different. ending of the film different to the ending of the first book? God, that's so impossible to say. Kind of? Because I, I, I... Okay, look, the answer is yes. It is different. Because I, I feel like it would have to be, but I also don't want to be spoiled too much because I it, do genuinely want to read the books. You should read the books. They're very... The, the first book, Annihilation, is much more cosmic horror. It's yeah. very Lovecraftian. It's written almost epistolary style. It's like a diary, right? That's you're, right. I didn't hear that. You're getting the first-hand account of the character that Natalie Portman plays in the film. But yep. interestingly, in the film, they're all given names. In the book, they're not. And it's intentional. She's just called the biologist. She's never referred to by a name. Oh, it's the biologist and and, and the, the psychologist and, the, and yep. the surveyor. That's what they're called. I feel like I, they should have done it in the movie. They should have. And I there's mean, all sorts of reasons they wouldn't have. And blah blah. I blah, mean, blah, ma- blah. maybe like for you know Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac because like they're the kind of like through line yeah. main character protagonist. Makes sense to maybe have them named, but everyone else, but, but honestly, that's the thing. Without spoiling it, there's a plot point reason they're not given names. They have names. They're just not given names and they don't use them when they're in Area X specifically. Oh, So there's a whole thing here where like, yes, the ending of the movie is very, very different to the ending of the book. But I say that with a big old asterisk in that the nature of the books and the way that they work means that the ending of the movie, I would suggest, is true to the spirit of what the books are doing. But because the sequel books weren't written, Alex Garland... And the other writers. And, and, and Jeff Enemir is credited as a writer on the film. So he was in the room with them doing this stuff. Oh, I, I, I didn't actually realize that. That's awesome. He's credited that way. I don't know whether that means they actually had the meetings or whatever. But the gist of it is uh, he would have had input on this. And he, he, he probably knew where he was going with it. And I think he probably told 
Alex Garland and the other people in that room at Paramount and whoever were making that movie, he probably gave them an inkling of where he was going. And that's why I mean, like, the ending of the film is very different to the ending of the book, but it still works. Like, is is it still achieving, like, the same... It's very much achieving the same question. The the problem you've got is that I haven't finished the third book yet, so I'm not sure where it's going to end up, but based on the ending of the second book there is no way you could do a film adaptation using what you've got from the first movie and make the second book make sense. Okay, so this is going to lead me on like a kind of related... You're going down a rabbit hole, yeah. yeah. But in terms of like, because there's there's a few uh, like well-known or like whenever this comes up pointed to books that people say you can't adapt to screen because of how the the book is done. Yeah. One of them is Drive and... Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the movie of Drive, um, I haven't actually read the book myself, but I know it's meant to be like a, like a again, a diary, first-hand account from the driver. Is that right? Yes. Um, and it goes back and forth in terms of the timeline. Uh, and it's very like specific in how it does that. And the, uh, the movie, direct, uh, starring Ryan Gosling and directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, did it like adapted it differently, but still works so well. I mean, yeah. the, the, that, like that movie introduced me to like synthwave music. It's oh yeah, that that was a whole uh, eye opener for a lot of things. I think, um, and I know another one is oh, it's it's a HP Lovecraft one. It's either in the Mountains of Madness or yeah, Guillermo del Toro was trying to do that for like ten years. Yeah, might, might still be trying. There's always rumors that movie's coming out, but who knows? And I, I have a feeling like before uh, the John Carpenter movie, but the the book that the thing is adapted yeah. from is also another one that people uh, pointed to for ages, being like this and would it's be impossible. Honestly, to adapt. for the same reasons. Uh, if you haven't read it, the Lovecraftian, and look, we're not going to unpack what's wrong with Lovecraft and blah, 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 blah. So I don't want to. I mean, he was that. a huge racist. Yeah, it's not, that's not my job to rip all that apart. There's scholars who have written whole PhDs and built their careers on that. But yep. my, the gist of this is read it. It's fascinating. He was a fucking, he's a pretty good author when it comes to horror. i tell you what. So Mountains of Madness. I mean, that's another thing too. I mean, we won't dive into this, but separating yeah. art from the author. Yeah. And that, well, that maybe one day we'll do an episode on that. But the, the Mountains of Madness is, un, is largely held to be unadaptable for similar reasons to things like um, uh, the second book for the Southern Reach trilogy, Authority, feels unadaptable because so much of the book is in the head of the main character. It's not things that are said out loud. It's not things that are displayed on screen. So unless you're going full noir and it's going to have a fucking voiceover and we're inside the protagonist's head as he's like sitting there having a cigarette, but we're hearing him narrate his inner thoughts. And to be fair, if you, if you like lean in and go hard on on that style, it could work really well, but that's a a very like niche specific style. It's not going to be like a mainstream. And the problem you've got is that the character that would most likely be this person was the character played by Benedict Wong in Annihilation. Oh, interesting. He's given the character name Lomax in the credits. I don't think anyone ever refers to him as that. So they've already given him a different name. You could just change that. In the film, I don't think anyone says his name out loud. So I think you could just, you know, whatever. His new name is John. It doesn't matter, right? The problem you've got is that 90% of the film would just be him freaking out internally. So you've you've got (laughs) like these massive dialogues or monologues of internal monologue, just him thinking out loud, where he's either going to have to talk to himself so he can literally say it out loud, or you need to give it narration and he's going to have to do voice of God and, and narrate the whole film, right? You'd still end up, I'm like thinking back on it. There's like multiple scenes where nobody says anything in the book. Like like whole chapters go by, no words are exchanged. I it's mean, that, all looks and thoughts and you're like, it could work really well. But it could work well. And you're also, never going to get Alex Garland 
and a, and a $40, 50000000 million budget to make that movie. There's no way. No, I mean, that'd be much more of like, a, like someone making their first feature. Yeah, kind yeah. Of experimenting, it, 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 different it things. massively lends itself to that. There's a crazy ending sequence, which would throw that out the window and suddenly it's a $150 million movie that takes place in 10 locations. But my point is like, that's the problem, right? 99% of, 90% of it is is office buildings and phone calls and internal monologues. And then the last 10 to 15 minutes is a $100 million boat trip in the fucking Amazon River. Okay. You can't, you can't afford that. Well, you know, you know what else? So another way I, you could think of for doing like maybe uh, some kind of a written adaptation for control, right? Is like, because you find all of the like FBC um, documents yeah. and like written reports and like uh, you know, item requests. All these, all these collectibles that that do the world building. Yeah, and, and very like bureaucratic paperwork styled. Like you know, a, a lot, lots of keywords are redacted. See this file for extra info. You know, like here's the summary mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. happened at this event or this um, object of power. How to deal with it? How we manage it? All that kind of stuff. It would be really interesting, I think. Um, and this would be a very specific niche nerdy way to mm-hmm. do it, but have a book. It's literally just file documents like that. You could. I mean, that was the original book for World War Z. If you haven't read it, yeah. it's that. Well, World War Z is like different short stories from different um, parts of the world yeah. when the zombie outbreak But it's happening. presented as though it's the uh, UN report on yeah. the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, it's like, it wouldn't work as a film, or I think it could have, but anyway, they it, instead it, it, did it, the it, Brad it Pitt bl- movie. It bloody well could. The, bl- the, oh, the blood... That Brad, the Brad Pitt movie was Brad Pitt so movie. disappointing. I it was a fun little action zombie romp, but well, it pissed me off so that it was called World War Z. That, that's the problem, and there's a few movies like this where if you take it as its own, yeah, own movie on its own right, not connected to anything, it is a pretty fun zombie romp. Yeah, but the fact that it's specifically related to World War Z, that's not what World War Z is. And it becomes a disservice. And anyway, that's a whole other... It's a whole other thing. Tangent. But, okay, so this is... The the control annihilation thing, the linkage goes very, very deep, right? So they're not a direct adaptation, but I will be shocked if it turns out that Sam, like, never heard of Annihilation and never read that book. I would be shocked. Well, it's I mean, very clear it's, that there are connections to these things. I think, too, that like, when I was looking up on, like, TV Tropes and New Weird... Uh, and like examples mm. of it, like there's a lot of books, like 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 again, literature is where it's um, mostly known about, and like, yeah. then like the like number one pointed to example is a book House of Leaves, yeah, which is incredible. Yeah. I've I, I got it. I, I started like the first chapter, and like it's hard. For, I need to be in the right mood to like sit down and kind of like pick it apart. It's but, really really uh, dense. Yes, and, like, and the Southern Reach books are the same. Very yeah. dense. But then looking at um, movies and games and, and stuff like that, like really, Control is like the number one example yeah. in games. And again, movies, like Annihilation is up as well. There's actually not that many done. It's kind of it's kind of untouched. And I mean, that's, that's and a I, shame and, and I because see, it's amazing. I want, I, I, it might be because of how like very specific it I is. I think so, yeah. Because it, it's, it's hard. It, it's almost like a subgenre of a subgenre. Yeah, yeah. It's, but, hard, it's hard to do because you... You either want something like Annihilation where you can adapt an existing something and pull out the bits that you love, starting from scratch on something like that. Or how do you even, how do you set a world like that? And I think a lot of it, like, you know, uh, both looking at Control and Annihilation, uh, it's like one of the crucial parts and you have to nail it in order for it to actually work is the world building and the context and history and like how all of that uh, feeds into every little detail of the story you're writing, right? 
which is why like all these uh, documents and all these like, you know, people writing letters that you can find uh, of someone being like, I think my dead husband is talking to me through the TV. Um, you know, there's this pair of scissors that like stabs people in the neck and, and feeds on their blood. And then turns out that's where like, you know, people's uh, imaginations of vampires come from. All this kind of stuff is so interesting, but you, you like all the little bits of context needs to match and line up so well together in yeah. order for any of it to actually make sense. It's hard. It's hard to do this in a way that is also telling a narrative story. Yeah. So this. Okay. So I, I was going to do it a little bit later, but I'm going to do it now because it's it's huge. So pigeon. Do you, have you heard of the SCP wiki? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I knew. I knew this was going to happen. It's going to happen, right? Because. Again, I cannot prove this. However, the, the developers and the writers for Control have come out and said that it is like it's clearly influenced. It's influenced, it but but, but influenced. It, it's not directly like ad, ad, no. adapted. And it can't be an adaptation. And I'll tell you why. Because I tried to do one, and it turns out you can't. You can't do an adaptation like of the SCP wiki legally. Right? Is that is that because of it being so open and like anyone can kind of make their own SCP yes. entry? So the nature of the okay. So we're going to do a little bit of a. I, I, I got to explain right, what this yeah, is yeah, for yeah. people who don't know what the fuck's going on. Okay. So the SCP wiki is uh, if you understand the nature of wiki, this like predates. Well, it doesn't predate Wikipedia, right? But Wikipedia is an encyclopedia in the wiki format, right? So the SCP wiki stands for Secure, Contain, Protect, and then it's a wiki which is uh, a database of information surrounding there's, this. There's another, like there's two names for it. So secure contain protect. There's also secure control protect one. I, me- I remember Possibly. There, I remember there were, there were two. We like, can get into ones. like there could be offshoots and there's a, yeah. there's a reason for all this. But the actual one is secure contain protect. That's how it started, right? And it's, cool. it's a Wikipedia style collection or database for a fictional entity called the SCP Foundation. And the foundation, as it's often known, is a make it's make believe I think I hope if it's not good God save us all but it's if it's if it's not then then everyone is doing well to not having actually seen it exactly shit. but it's 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 fictional it's presented though in the website as though it's non-fiction right so you have to you have to remember it's a little bit like professional wrestling there's a thing called kayfabe you don't break the kayfabe right what's kayfabe so kayfabe is basically like you're in character forever right right like like we all know when we make our professional wrestling matches that this is theater right we're not actually killing one another we don't intend to break each other's bones but we must pretend whenever the cameras are on whenever there are people in the room we are these people it's a story that never ends right so kayfabe is like an operatic thing it, it means that basically the actors are are you'd almost call it method acting it predates method acting though right it's a greek thing ancient greek but also like in terms of wrestling like very over the top for like a stylized character and, very, yeah. yeah well not necessarily but it's the idea is that like your character might like if you were if you were darth vader in a play right any single time you appeared in that costume you were darth vader you were never ever ever steven pigeon Stephen Pigeon is a separate person. I'm never Stephen Pigeon in a costume playing no, Darth exactly. Vader if I'm wearing it. You I'm are Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. And yep. you you react in context every time, no yep. matter where you are or what is happening. So a fan comes up to you and asks for an autograph, you sign it as Darth oh, Vader. It's like uh, uh, when Stephen Colbert was doing a Colbert report. Um, you know, he was always in his character of Stephen always Colbert. Always in character. I think I think in terms of like one of one of his like late like last shows that show before he got the late night show. Someone was telling him, congratulating him for the new job, blah, 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 because he's in character. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kayfabe, right? You, you never break kayfabe. 
and it keeps the reality alive. So the SCP Foundation, the way the wiki is designed is that when you are on the wiki, you must treat and talk about the wiki as though it is real, right? This sounds really bizarre. The reason this is important is that the world building of the SCP Foundation only works if everybody who is writing within that wiki agrees to those rules, Yeah. right? So the whole point of it is it's all fan generated. There's no one company running this wiki. There's no organization that controls it, right? That's kind of the in-joke, right? Is that if there is an organization that controls it, it's secret and clandestine, la, 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 la. So anybody can join it, but there are rules and the rules are kind of community driven. And the idea is that a new entry in the wiki has to follow certain guidelines. And those guidelines are, what's the object? Because the whole point of the SCP Foundation, as the name implies, is to secure, contain, and protect. So it's primarily anomalous items, right? So in, in um, control, there are the AIs, right? Uh, anomalous items, or there's like your, uh, your, your oops, right? Yeah, objects so of power. There's two different types in control. There's objects of power, which you can... Like actually, like gain the power from, yeah, and, and then altered, altered items, and then altered items, which I think are like a side effect from altered world events. Exactly. So there's a whole there's a whole thing in the SP Wiki where they kind of invented this sort of language, right? Or maybe not invented, but certainly the community has grown it into being its own thing, right? So they have rules about levels of clearance. And so you might have a wiki entry where you're going to talk about an ink blotter that never runs out of ink. It's a very simple concept, right? The way that you would enter that into the wiki is you have to come up with, okay, it's an ink blotter that never runs out of ink. How is that dangerous? And this is part of the thing is the SCP Foundation doesn't necessarily care about paranormal items or altered items or whatever that aren't dangerous. Yeah, They're there to to secure and contain these. The protect is arguably about protecting the world from these things, or it's protecting the world from itself in a, in a lot of ways, right? So you would write about, okay, the item is SCP-0005692. I've made that up. Don't look that up. There probably is one. It's probably awful. Don't judge me. You, you say any number SCP. There's, any number. There's, there's honestly there's probably going to be an entry. thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these. Like this has been happening for at least as far as I know, 20 years. Yeah, right. like this thing's been around for a really like, long time. This has time. been a long running thing. Like, there's lots of like video game adaptations, yeah. like fan made yeah. short films on YouTube. Like, yeah. there's people doing like video es- essays on specific single like, like one SCPs. entry. Some of them are famous. Some yeah. of them are very famous so, entries. Some of them are like multi hour long like deep dives. Yeah. So there's there's there are joke SCPs. There's a whole other part of the wiki that is designed to break the kayfabe and for people to be like, I'm gonna make. A, an entry about an ink blotter that never runs out but only writes lies or something like that, right? And you're like, you could do a serious one about that, but if you wanted to do a joke one and you want to take the piss, you can. There's a separate place to write that. The real ones, though, you got to talk about what's the item, what does it do, and, and how does the foundation contain it? And as the thing grew, it became almost not, not, not a parody of itself, but it started to be very self-referential, and you started getting things like, the community had invented a guy named Dr. Bright and they just decided that anybody can write a story involving Dr. Bright because he is an operative or a scientist who works at site, I don't know, I think it's site 18 in the wiki. Somebody agreed on that at some point and wrote another story and it built from there. Nice. So the idea is anybody can do this and characters start sort of appearing naturally and they'll do addendums to people's writing where somebody's got an entry, like the most famous one I know of, I think it's SCP-682. Uh, if I've got that wrong, whatever, at me. But uh, do, you want me to, do you want me to look it up? Yeah, go and look it up. It should be the Immortal Lizard. And this thing has... SCP-682 is a large, vaguely reptile-like creature of unknown origin. 
right? And it yep. can't be killed. And so what's happened is somebody wrote an initial entry that everybody loved and thought was very funny and entertaining. It has since grown into like hundreds of pages of people writing little short stories about the times they've tried to kill the lizard and how it hasn't gone well. And the lizard breaks out occasionally and there's other short stories about what happens when the lizard gets out of containment. I mean, yeah, like this entry even has a photo of the lizard like shortly after escaping containment still recovering from acid immersion. Okay, so that photo is one of the reasons that that entry can never be adapted. And we'll get into that now. So really? as you're as you're figuring out, it's all community driven, right? Yeah. There's no rules. It doesn't cost any money to add there's that an, story. There's no like copyright. There's I no guess. copyright. Yeah. But here's the thing. There is a type of copyright. And it's called public copyright? It's called Creative Commons. Oh, I have heard about this. Right? And yep. it's very, very common on the internet. It was extremely common around the time the wiki was first kicking off. This is like late nineties, early two thousands. It's it's proto internet, right? It's it's not internet that we understand it now. This is this predates Web 2.0. This was back when there was this vision of the internet being free and available for everybody and all the information was going to be shared and blah, 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 blah. So here's the problem. You are free to, under this specific Creative Commons license, it's called Sharealike 3.0. Uh, you can copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format. You and I could do a whole podcast where all we do is read wiki entries from the SCP wiki. There, are, there are podcasts that do that. Exactly. And you can, right? You can also adapt it. That means we could remix it, transform it. We're allowed to commercially adapt it for, like we could do whatever we want with it. Here's the killer. You can only do this if you use the same Creative Commons rule for your material. So if we do this podcast about the SCP Wiki and we read them all out or we make up our own or we adapt them or whatever, anybody would be allowed to do the same thing with whatever we produce. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. This is a very Which big mean, problem so you if you're trying to commercialize something as a film. Because you can't do a film, pitch it to a distributor or publisher and sell it to a market or whatever because it's right there. You can't sell it. You can't make money off well, it. Well, you can make money off it but everybody else can then also adapt the thing that you did without your permission. Yeah. And that is the killer, right? It's all or nothing. Do you, do you think you ultimately this is a good thing or a bad thing? Because, you know, you can't like commercialize off it clearly, but it does lend itself to being like so much more free in terms of like anyone can copy, anyone can distribute, yeah. anyone can kind of like add delay onto it and see how that goes from there. It's a very good thing. And I'll tell you why it's a very good thing. On on the face of it, if, if most things worked under this type of creative commons license creativity would go through the fucking roof yeah right because if we looked at annihilation and went, i want to do a short film that is in that universe and tells a slightly different story about one of the side characters right now i would have to clear the rights to the book and the film and likely do some kind of deal with paramount who still owns the rights to annihilation it would be ex very expensive undertaking Blah, 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 right? And in the end, I still might not own it all, right? Yeah. Under Creative Commons, I could do that, right? So the killer we've got is, is this, I think it's an incredible it, is idea. Is this creative communism, CJ? It's creative communism, right? It's very, very, very good. One could make the argument, and I'm not going to make the argument necessarily from a legal standpoint, but one could certainly make the argument that Remedy lifted or was inspired by or remixed, you might use the term, a lot of what is in the SCP wiki to end up with control. Now, yeah. and they're, they're able they're, to do they'll that. They'll never like, confirm or deny that. No, they'll never confirm or deny that because if they did, then control the game would also have to be under Creative Commons. And it's if a, that happens... Well, 
the, the, yeah. The, you can see the problem. It's a capitalism yeah. problem, right? So it's the only reason that Creative Commons is a bad thing, and especially for us as like filmmaker or game maker, the reason it's a problem is a lot of the value in intellectual property for a concept or a game or a film lies in the fact that I can own the idea which is very rare. You can't copyright ideas, right? You can't copyright themes or premises. What you can copyright is a written script. If if you can then make a film or a game out of that script, you can also own that. You can copyright the executed material. This is, this is so interesting because it's making me think of, uh, again, we mentioned it in the last podcast, but the Edge Human copyright case, we're talking about yeah. using the same kind of chords in the same yeah. um, sequence. You can, you can uh, copyright mechanics. But the, the, so this is the other thing too. You uh, like normally you can't copyright uh, game design or design mechanics, but then um, I think Warner Brothers did with uh, they tried to yeah yeah the Nemesis system the, and they succeeded yeah they they but they, they kind of didn't they right got, well they got a patent they got a it. patent and you're like yeah okay for that very specific for, version for like the Nemesis system in that game yeah. where like if if an orc kills you or yeah. if you kill an orc then you can run into them later and they've yeah. leveled up and, but and all they, they actually you. did yeah. was copyright the very very specific mechanics of how that works in their game. If I were going to do the same thing, I would just code it differently. It would operate in a slightly different it's way. It's also the kind of thing too, where like you don't want design mechanics copyright. Exactly. Because again, it, and um, it's similar, like if, if uh, we talked about this uh, in the last episode with something where like, as soon as you make something behind a paywall, it's no longer accessible and you're not going to have so many more players coming in and experimenting. Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about this about Halo, that's yeah. right. And then you get... Um, you, you want more people you get engaging ball, with it. And all this yeah. kind of stuff. So in terms of this, an SCP Foundation, and if you wanted to do it with Annihilation of one of the side characters, as soon as you have it open and have uh, all kinds of different people with different perspectives and different writing styles coming in and doing different stuff, that really does genuinely add to the world building massively, stuff. Massively, massively. It's also very different to like the auteur theory where, uh, and you know, Disney will, will do this a lot too, where like they'll keep, their, they're doing all the live action yeah. Disney films. Let's be real. The only reason they're doing that is so they can keep the copyright for another seventy. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So they can control. They can control their specific IP ownership and perspective and world building on that, and no one else can add their thing to it. So it's a very like one-minded, very specific way of how they want to. And it maximizes profit, right? It maximizes profit because if you control what it is, and you control every aspect of what it is then somebody who wants to sell a t-shirt has to pay you. And it can work. Um, there's the idea too of like all of Tarantino's movies uh, set in the same world. And pretty sure like Tarantino's come out and saying that like that is the way he thinks about them as well. Yeah, he's got a fascinating thing of some of them are movies in his world and some of them take place in the actual world. Yeah. So Inglorious Bastards, for example, is a film inside the Pulp Fiction world. The people who live in Pulp Fiction huh. would go and watch Inglorious Bastards at the movies. That, that's funny. Um, but then, but then it is also the other thing too, where like as soon as you have that, you can't have the, like all the kinds of extra expansion and perspectives and stories that could be added to it, which like could be good or could be bad. In the case of SCP, like it's kind of just incredible, like how much expansion, how how much like uh, you know the the community around SCP has really like come together and grown. Massively. It's very living. It grows. It shrinks. It does different things. Right. You, it also means that anytime you look at it, and anytime you put a magnifying glass on it, it's all, it's always different from the it's last time you looked. Always different. Which, There's always which, something like happening. That 
in itself is fascinating. Which is why it works as a community. Instead of it just being like a website that you can go and visit, it's something that you participate in. If yep. you read 100 entries and never see it again, that's fine. But somebody only read five entries and then wrote 20. Like you, you don't know what you're going to end up with. The main killer here is that uh, if you were to do something like control, one could argue, and again, I'm not going to argue this from a legal standpoint, but one could make the argument that a lot of control is a reskin of the concept of SCP. Well, this also does make me think of the whole uh, thought behind, like, there's, there, there's no such thing as actual originality, right? Like, yeah, it's all remixes. Everyone yeah. is always inspired and... From everything. You couldn't copyright the concept of a secret government organization. You literally couldn't copyright it, that. It's also like, if you, any field, any creative field, I think, that you work in, be it filmmaking or, or game development, game development or whatever, whatever you're interested in, in your personal time or whatever your hobbies are and that kind of thing is inherently going to feed into like your creative work, right? 100%. So even if Control is inspired by SCP, I don't think that's a bad thing. And no, all, and, not at all. and also if the, if the creators like did like, like grow up looking at SCP stuff and, and taking that in and if Sam like uh, read the Control book, uh, the Annihilation books and that, and that kind of thing, Regardless if it is a specific adaptation, if they're taking from a specific item or not. Honestly, who really cares? It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. People do care, and that's why there is no video game adaptation of SCP as it sits. People have done there little are. fun nano, I mean, but there's no official right, one. Right, there's, there's, yeah, right. Because there's like small like indie, indie main right. game. Games. And the thing yeah. is, any of those you can take and adapt and do whatever the fuck you want with as long as you use the same license. Yep. And that's a problem because if I were to pitch and I, you know, between you and I, I've done this. I've, I've pitched an SCP style show to a reasonably big distributor. Okay. So, I'm, so this is fine. Like we, we can talk about this publicly. We can talk about this publicly because it's very much not happening. So I've, I've attempted this, right? It was a concept. It had, it was going to be a TV show from memory. We had this whole thing set up and it was going to have a side show for TikTok. So there was going to be like a, a Gen Z buy-in section and blah, 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 blah. It was very, very smart. It doesn't work because when you pitch to somebody and like it wasn't Netflix, but let's say for example, it's Netflix. Everybody understands what Netflix is. Big online streaming platform, blah, blah, blah. You get it, right? Yep. They are a huge, huge company. They definitely did, have the money did, to did do Did it this. get to the point where you're pitching it where it's like, it is SCP, but it's different. Like it's not, it's it was not, pitched as this is SCP. It was so pitched as a high budget TV show set in the world of the wiki. Right, so the conversation never went to be like, we can't use SCP, but can we do this without it? The conversation not- did go in that direction, yeah. and that's what happened. So right. I pitched the thing, and it became really clear that because of the Creative Commons license, no major distributor was going to back this, because they look at it and went, well, we can't own this, and if we can't own this, why the fuck would we pay for it? And it makes total sense. From their perspective, we're talking about, right, this is this is where it gets into my research on like piracy and distribution. I wonder if you could do like a not-for-profit uh, you, you, studio. You could. It gets very complicated. And the, the part of the reasoning behind it getting complicated is when you make a film or a TV show, whatever, right? You're, you're never starting from scratch. There's like a misconception that like, if I'm the writer director, I automatically own the rights to that script. But that's not technically true. As, unless I'm incredibly wealthy and I own all aspects of the business. If I'm the writer, producer, director, distributor, and exhibitor, then I can do whatever the fuck I want. If you're all of those things, then, then Jesus, you can do anything, holy right? shit. But nobody is all of those things. That, that person doesn't exist in this world as it currently sits, right? Jeff Bezos went to space instead of starting a fully integrated film studio. But my point is- Oh my God. You, if you took something like SCP 
or even if I wrote my own script and it was based loosely on SCP, right? I own the rights to that script. If I, even if I want to direct it and produce it, I'm going to need someone to pay for that. Unless I'm going to pay for it myself, someone has to front me the money. Now, we might make a ton of money when we release it and the audience pays for it, but somebody has to bankroll me to begin with. i got to pay the cast and crew. i got to pay for studio space. i got to pay for sets. It all costs money. That's where your distributors come in. The distributor fronts you all of that money as a way of then saying, we own this, we've paid for it, we want our money back plus a bit extra at the end, right? They will never go for that deal on something that they cannot fully own because what happens is if we make that TV show, it has to be under the Creative Commons license. That means the minute it goes online or it's anywhere accessible to the audience, they are fully allowed to pirate it and start doing spin-offs and sell their own merch. Do you know they can do anything they want with it. And when the, when the company who paid for it doesn't get to control that narrative, it's way too scary for them. They won't touch it. So then the conversation becomes- It's too risky. It's too risky. They go, what if, the, what if some fucking idiot fan on YouTube makes a better version of this and they're fully <laughs> allowed to do that? We're fucked. And you're like, oh, yeah, you make a great point. And the and, answer and to that, that is- can, That canon has happened before. Canon has happened. Well, the answer to that is do better, right? But the point of it is they go, oh, too risky, not a good investment. We don't want to do it. The question immediately turned to, why don't you just rebrand this as something else? Why does it have to be SCP? That that always comes up on a visit. Always. But, I mean, very quickly on that too, do you know if there are any movies or TV shows that are made under the Creative Commons? Um, the only one I know of for a fact is the documentary about the Pirate Bay, which was called Steal This Film. Right. Uh, or no, I think it was called Pirate This Film, something like that. It's a riff on an old book, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a remix of a remix of a remix. It's a documentary about the Pirate Bay and the founders. They released it online for free under the Creative Commons license. Many people have done riffs on it. They've done YouTube videos on it. It's all under the same license. So it does exist. But, but not never in find, the way that we would, yeah. like, like, that you could do for this kind of project. Yeah, you're never going to find a major production company or studio doing something under Creative Commons. They won't do it. it yeah, it, it, I mean, it makes sense. It is communism. It fully goes against the nature of capitalism. If you don't own the thing that is worth the money, then it's not worth anything. And so that's that's where the issue comes in. They go, well, change the name. What if it's not SCP? What if it's control? What if instead of the foundation, it's the Federal Bureau of Control? Yeah. What if instead of uh, anomalous objects, they're altered items? You can kind of see how you can do this really easily, right? The problem is the bits that you love about SCP are the bits that you want. And you can't have those... Because things like SCP-682, that picture, that is copyrighted. Somebody stole that picture and put it in the wiki without asking. Since the wiki got big, the person who owns that photograph has given them the right to have it in the wiki, but it is one of like a dozen things that are not under Creative Commons. So you that photograph do, isn't under Creative. It's not Commons. under Creative Commons. There's like there's at least a dozen of these where like Wait, specific so entries are not under Creative Commons. That's not, that's not a real photograph, is it? It's a real photograph. It is, is not. It? It's not of what you think it is. It's not a lizard that got dipped in acid. Well, no, it's clearly it's clearly not really. But like, what what actually is it? Then I can't remember. But don't do it now. Look it up later. It is <laughs> it is a real thing. Okay. Uh, there's a bunch of these, right? There's a whole bunch of them. There's a, another really famous one, which is an object or it's an anomalous entity that has to be looked at. If you look at it, it's like a weeping angel. It's a statue. It doesn't move. Oh, yeah. There's one in, in control. It's the TV. That eat, not TV. The fridge. That eats it's a people. fridge. Now, is the fridge a loose adaptation of this SCP? Almost certainly. Well, in fact, but then you could also the argue that about weeping angels in Doctor Who. You definitely could. However, you would go back the other way around and go, actually, the SCP is more than likely an adaptation of the weeping angels. The weeping angels likely predate that SCP. 
Uh, and I reckon the idea of the weeping angels too is probably like a so story from right. like ages. Like a, uh, it's a mythology yeah. because the idea that statues move when you don't look at them predates human writing. Like, I mean, look at gargoyles. Exactly. There's a whole, there's a whole thing. So this is what I mean about like, once you dig deep enough, you can figure out, okay, the bits that I love don't need to be SCP, but if I were going to do an adaptation of SCP, part of why I'm adapting it is I want to do an episode about SCP-682. It's I want to do that. Right. And I can't do that. Because that's one of the dozen that you're not allowed to do. So I think that that's an interesting point too. Because like if if you want to do a specific adaptation of a specific SCP, do an entry, do a fan made short film, whatever, go nuts. Yeah. If you if you're doing a much larger project like Control, that's all of a sudden the playing ground to get a team, get a, a team of creators, whatever, and come up with all kinds of new, fresh ones specifically for your thing. You're, not you're making SCP. your own wiki, basically, right? Yeah, right. You're, you're building your own world. And that in itself, and that go, again goes into like the world building and the larger context for like control and it being new and all, all that kind of stuff. That in itself is incredible. And it, 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 it's also the kind of thing too where like you're not just doing SCP. You're taking inspiration from all kinds of stuff. Like control also has a lot of X-Files stuff in there. Massively. Like... And, and and once you're doing like not one specific nod, if in, even if there are small nods to lots of different things, all of those ingredients that you're taking for your thing makes your thing its own thing again. Oh, yeah, yeah, massively. This, this is what I mean about like Creative Commons is a really good idea and I really love it. And, and if everybody got on board with it and we fundamentally changed the way that we licensed and marketed conceptual material, oh, incredible. It'd I mean, that's never going to happen in our lifetime. It'll never happen. But... Short of total but societal in, collapse in, in, or the end of theory, capitalism, it'll never happen. In theory, it's fucking amazing. In theory. In practice, in practice, no. it, like, you, ne- like not realistic in, no. in the slightest. I, I would love to play more in that space. And I, I do expect at some point I will be rich and powerful enough to do some sort of SCP adaptation-y type thing and do it under Creative Commons and just see what fucking happens. I fully intend to do that. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, give it, give it a decade or two, there'll be some ultra SCP fans... Like, like 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 hardcore fans, yeah. Who will have the money, and that's the trick, right? And it will just be like, fuck we, it, I want to, I want to, I want to yeah. do this thing. This is why it doesn't work right now. Is that nobody who has that kind of money would front it for something that definitely will not make any money, right? And he's like, definitely ima- not. Imagine when, when like, like, like very specific nerds like you and me oh, in, in yeah. 20, 30 yeah. years, assuming have, everything works out, like, and where you know, like, like, yeah. like, could be in a position hypothetically to yeah. have like massive amounts of fuck you level money. Oh, and yeah, oh yeah. my god, it's just the, the the amount of like personal dream projects that could come out. Oh, there's from a people. bunch. There's a bunch. But this okay. So this is why it's interesting that you can definitely say uh, control and SCP feel like the same pie. They're the same meal, right? They're a little bit different, but they're the same meal. What's interesting is there's a phenomena that predates both of them, which is part of where things like cosmic horror come in, and it's an internet phenomena specifically. And, and again, Annihilation, the book and the film don't really lean into this. But again, I would be shocked if, is, if Jeff Vandermeer wasn't inspired a little bit by Is there this. a name for this phenomenon? There is. It's called Creepypasta. Oh, I know. I know what this is. Which in and of itself is a bastardization of uh, the term copy-paste. Yep. And these were, uh, if you remember, I don't know if these are still a thing. I don't really get them anymore because my spam filter is pretty good. But if you remember way back in the day, you would get those chain emails. Yeah. And they were all superstitious, there's, right? There, there's one in control where you have to there's copy and distribute about it. the yeah, letter. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's chain mail. Yeah. 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 So, no, it's, it's, it's chain mail. The, the chain mail thing, again, is like the proto version of this in that 
I I am of the understanding, and I could be wrong about this, I'm of the understanding that these existed as actual letters back in the day, like before the internet. I'm pretty sure, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think the spam email There thing. were definitely urban legends about it. Whether or not people were superstitious enough to actually mail chain letters, I'm not sure. It would, it, it'd be so creepy to like, like, especially if you live in like the wilderness of Iowa. Uh, no, we I, we I, think I, it's creepy something. because who the fuck sends letters? But in the 60s, how else would you have gotten mail? It makes total sense to receive a strange letter in the mail. But like a strange letter being like, you must copy this. Otherwise, like the haunted grandmother of, of your mum's past will come in and like ruin all your dishes for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what I mean, right? I, I don't know if they were ever a literal thing that landed in people's mailboxes and freaked people out. But I do know the urban legend definitely existed. Then the internet happened and we started seeing them as emails, right? Yep. They would be like a, you know you've received this mail, yeah, pass it on to 10 friends, blah, 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 blah. And some of them were funny. Some of them were teenagers doing fun stuff. Some of them were used as like a surreptitious, like find out who likes you kind of thing. But they got creepier and, and creepier. And of course, you know, what would the, the, it being a side quest in control is like, this is an actual like altered item. Yeah, they're like, letter. this is a real thing. And maybe that's where the urban and legends And if you copy this letter, you're actually copying like the power of it. Exactly, right? So there's like, there's like a lot of subtext and there's a lot of like urban legendy type stuff that goes in with this. And so when you realize at a fundamental level, the the whole of control and the whole of the SCP wiki and the whole of Annihilation are all grounded in this idea of like proto-internet, urban legendy, like there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more to the universe than you understand. And, I, and you just get a tiny little glimpse of it and you go, it's unlikely that if I don't send this email to 10 people, that I'm going to be visited by a ghost and have my guts pulled out. But right? is it worth the risk? But is it worth the risk? I could just send the email. It doesn't cost me anything. Sure, I'm going to send the email, right? And you realize like, from that, that urban legend, that thing, that's that was a copy-paste, right? They t- So these, these chain mails turned into scary stories on message boards. People would post on forums and they would write, it would be a paragraph or so. And it, you know, most of them started out as like a, Here's a spooky story about a real thing that happened, and yeah, I'll tell you like, about it. Um, blah 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 blah. Like there's the no sleep subreddit. And the stuff Russian like the Russian sleep experiment was one of the the earliest ones. Yeah. So there's a bunch of these, right? Yeah. The no sleep subreddit is uh, is home to a lot of these. Before then, they were on forums. They were on 4chan. They were all over the place, right? They evolved into being scarier and scarier and scarier until you got a thing called a creepy pasta, and a creepy pasta is a chain mail for a message board that is designed to scare you. They're supposed to be spooky. You know what this is making me think of? Because like, because there are examples of like this kind of like uh, going to the extreme and feeding into like people kind of like killing each other in real life. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, Slenderman. Slenderman is a is a perfect example of a creepypasta because Slenderman was in fact a creepypasta to begin with. Yep, so Slenderman started there, and like I was actually thinking about doing an episode uh, uh, for this podcast on this because there's there's a few Slenderman games out there, but there's one that I played when I was in high school called, called Slender: The Arrival. Mm. Uh, then there's a Slenderman movie, but then there's also a documentary about there were two. Mm-hmm. 12 or 13 year old girls in somewhere in America. I forget like it's always America. I forget which state, but they're like uh, one, one of, of them, the, one of the, one of the dodgy ones, one of them led the other one into the woods. And in order to, in her words, appease slender man, stabbed her best friend 17 times. And I think almost killed her or she might've died. I I'm can't pretty remember. sure she actually killed her. I, I would look it up, but I kind of don't want to. And there, yeah. was, there was a, there was a huge, huge like court case about this. And, and like, and like the, 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 like one of the biggest, biggest things was specifically that it was because of her like obsession and looking at all the online creepypasta stuff mm. about Slenderman. 
and Slenderman, Slenderman being this online urban legend, uh, cryptid, like what, cryptid, what, yeah, yeah crypt- whatever, you, whatever like you want to call a it, creepy pasta that becomes a cryptid, or was it a cryptid that became a creepy pasta? Who could say? Yeah. yeah. Um, where were we going with that? I was looping around well, something. They're 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 building up all this stuff, and you're like, okay, you got these creepy pastas, you got these these kind of things that predate the SCP wiki. They predate a lot of this stuff. And they're these, they're these social stories that we've been telling. We like telling scary stories. We like spooking each other around the campfire, right? So they all come from this place. All the SCP Wiki did was was put one website that you could go to and get your fix. You yeah. could either write some or read some. Like it was always going to be freaky, right? Control just takes that to another level. They're like, you could do a triple A game set in a world of a secret government organization whose job is to catalog this stuff because it is real and by 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 doing this, they're protecting the world and keeping the balance of normality. Yep. And annihilation does the exact same thing. And you know, and again, it's it's similar. Like, are you protecting the people in the world? Yeah. Or are you protecting the like the altered stuff and the, and the objects of power or the SAPs from everything else? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is so the thematics underlying all of this are it's it's do we trust our government? It's is there more to the universe than meets the eye? It's it's I want to be in on the big secret. I want okay. to know the true nature of the universe. So here's another question, and this is going to tie it specifically back to control, but in SCP, is there any uh, specific, from, from what you've seen, explanation as to why like an item will be special or altered or whatever? Is, is it just otherworldly events? It's so interesting that you ask this. So they, they, because in yeah. control, they are very specifically altered in the objects of power because of like this interdimensional beings and like this like uh, uh, like another plane of existence. There's an entity that's kind of like bleeding through into our world through these objects. But notably, that's so in control, right? You've got the main story, which is uh, the hiss is invading the the bureau. Yeah, it's taking over the bureau, and you can't let it get outside. You can't let it get outside the bureau, and also the bureau in the building itself is. A, I, don't, I don't know if object of power, but like the foundation and the pillar and the nail and all that kind of stuff. Like the building itself is oh, kind of yeah. alive. I would love, yeah, yeah, we can we can definitely unpack that. the The key thing to remember though is that the bureau predates the hiss. It predates the interdimensionality. It predates all of that. But the bureau doesn't. Fact, well, no, so this is where it gets weird. The bureau predates the actual office building that it currently resides in. The yes. bureau predates the oldest house. Well, I love. Oh, the bureau, the, the bureau of control predates yes. the oldest house. Because exactly. I was going to say, I love uh, like the oldest house being like this living, like it's like you know, it's implied that it started off as a tree, like a millennia, a millennia ago, and has grown into what is now currently like the New York high rise government bu- bureaucratic building. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it is explained in like a lot of the collectibles and the extended world and the foundation. The the DLC gets into this in quite a big way the Bureau was a government department and it was designed, it was established, ugh, I'm going to fuck this up. In the in the game, they get into it. It started in like, it, it was either just post-World War II or it was just before World War II, something uh, like that. Because the first like board nominated director with the gun. Is Northmore. Is Northmore in the 60s. Yeah, and that happens because they find the oldest house. Yeah. So Northmore is with the team who finds the oldest house, finds the nail, and finds what they call the service weapon, the gun, Yeah, right? By picking up the service weapon, he is able to have the very first conversation with the board. He doesn't tell anybody else that's what's happening. The oldest house then grows from there, and the board becomes the board. From that point forward, the government is not in control of the Bureau anymore. 
Yeah, the, the board, board. The board is taking control. The board selects the directors, right? And the people who are selected as director are called para utilitarians. Only specific types of people who can utilize altered items are allowed to be the director. And the test of it is the service weapon. If you can pick up and hold and use the service weapon, you can be a director of the And then this the also Bureau. feeds into the main storyline where like you play as Jesse, you just become the new director, but like they were grooming. It's really important to remember, you, Dylan. you Jesse doesn't become the director. The minute she walks in the building and picks up the gun, she is the director. Yeah. And it's immediate. There's no handover of power. All the employees recognize that she's the director. The portraits in the building automatically change. She didn't sit for a portrait. The building generated that for her yeah right so it's really important to remember the house is its own thing now is it an altered item or an object of power unclear no one ever actually gets into like what is the oldest house it's probably like its own unique thing it's its own unique thing it appears through the foundation dlc that the nail is some kind of conduit or doorway that allows the board who exist on the astral plane different dimension to to function or communicate with the bureau, via yeah, because the like the astral plane dimension is kind of like leaking and 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 yeah. making its way through to our world in the foundation DLC because yeah. the, the nail has been damaged. So this is why it's important to remember that the the actual altered items and all of that stuff the bureau was doing predates the oldest house. It predates the hiss, all of that stuff. I mean, there's so many examples too when you look at documents of like stuff happening. Like hundreds of years ago, as, yeah. as well. Like all these records and things being yeah. like, is this record because of this? Like they, they talk about pyramids and triangles a lot as well. So you can think about like the Egyptian pyramids, and being the board like, appears as a big inverted pyramid. Right? Yeah. So this is they this, talk about shapes uh, having power and meaning, yeah. and, and the difference this between idea like of sigils and like yeah, yeah, like an, an upside triangle versus an inverted triangle, and yeah. like the, and the board is an inverted triangle, and yeah. they're they're totems. They mean things. Yeah. Right? So this it's it's interesting because. It's pretty clear that the Hiss is able to interact with altered items, and so is the board, and that they are enemies in some way, right? It's not clear what causes altered items to begin with, and it seems to be that that's what the Bureau exists to investigate. Where did they come from? They have no answers. Also, especially when you look at altered items, like being able to create other altered items. Yeah. And then they also dive into the whole thing um, and they, they have some of this with some of like the in-world, like the Federal Bureau of Control created like TV show for like all their public service announcements and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they talk about um, people's belief and uh, again, it's to do with like uh, sigils and, and uh, giving meaning to things. Yeah. That's where stuff like vampires and werewolves come in. Yeah. Because there's, there's recounts of people actually going in like and fighting like this dog man creature yeah and the only thing that took it down was silver bullets yeah that's where it comes from and it was full moon so they talk about like you know this whole like taking werewolves as the example like the the whole idea of werewolves you know goes back a millennia because the those stories always yeah. come through with, with lycanthropy, lycanthropy and that kind of thing and then because of that associated meaning uh when it comes uh, it comes in contact with an altered item or an object of power or something yeah it suddenly actually becomes something it's all connected so they this that's kind of what the bureau's main theory is is that uh, do you know what a tulpa is? A tulpa. Okay, so this is like this is me showing my fucking nerd hat again. So a tulpa, T U L P A, is a physical manifestation of of individual belief, right? Oh, cool. So these are generally there, there's a lot of very quickly. It just makes me think of uh, there's, there's a lot of fictional stories and stuff too where they talk about like. 
people's belief in something is enough to make it real. Yes. And they talk about that with gods yes. as well. And so that's religion. the idea of a tulpa, is that if werewolves weren't real, but enough people believe that they're real, that they become real. Yeah. Right? So the Bureau is leaning into the concept that most altered items are some sort of tulpa, right? It's energy from a dimension or the astral plane that we don't understand. So things like the chain mail, the chain letter, make a lot of sense in that people came up with that and enough people believed they could be real that a real one suddenly existed and the Bureau had to go in and contain it. Well, what do you think about the example of like the pair of scissors that flies around and stabs people in the neck, drinks their blood? Why is it scissors that that it then evolves into it being a vampire? Well, it may not have. It may not be that. It may have started out as something else entirely, and we just perceive it. As and scissors. that's and that's just how it's coming. Yeah, yeah. So they they get into like this. The, the evolution could go in any kind yeah. of direction. It could go in any direction. So they, they get into this in in control a little bit, where uh, Alan Wake has the very unique ability as 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 a para utilitarian individual. When he is in the dark place, whatever he writes becomes reality. Yep. And that's not normal, right? So he is in and of himself an anomalous and, object. And, and like that is like, even when you compare to all of like the, the powerful objects of power and stuff, this is an extreme version of that. Yeah. So there's the question of uh, the oldest house being what it is might only exist in that way because the members of the Bureau of Control see it that way. Right, so there's like the question is not necessarily uh, where did the objects of power come from or where did the altered items come from. It's maybe the Bureau of Control is not to control the items, but to control the general social narrative around these things. And they and they do do that because they talk about like their show and their podcast that is like yeah. actually the FBC. Yeah, but it's presented in the format of like exactly. you know, the two guys doing like the radio show and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's actually them doing these like public service announcements without them being public service announcements to kind of like, you know, I, I think they recognize that like a lot of people uh, would still believe and want to believe in this kind of thing. So there's, there's trying to guide them in a way that like it's safer. Yeah. I guess. Yes. Yeah. And then I think that's kind of like the point they're getting at is like, they don't know for sure where the altered items come from, but they know what happens when they start being created and they know what they need to do to try to prevent catastrophe. And right? a, another one that I found really interesting when I was finding docu documents on it was like uh, the, the the kind of like blessed story arc. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. With blessed pictures and then like the and like the blessed company where they I think yeah. they had like the the altered film camera at one point and they had a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and they were almost starting like their whole new cult or religion. Okay, that is a direct lift from SCP. There's a whole series oh, of, really? of they call them skips is the quick way of saying it, right? There's a whole series of skips about that exact thing. But that, but like that, that like like storyline, it's brilliant. In, it's in brilliant. controls, like I wanted to find out more about that. That yeah. was so interesting. Yeah, and that's the world building aspect of like that's that cosmic horror. There's so much more going on, and you're only getting the tiniest little glimpse. But it's so thrilling. And like they talk about one of the FPC agents actually having a confrontation with one of the people involved with uh, the Blessed Company. Yeah, and uh, and like even that, and uh, it was an interrogation. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy just being like, "Well, I'm not going to give you shit. What do you yeah. want?" Yeah, and a lot of and, the and way they, they had that mutual understanding is like, "Yeah, there is like shit happening here." Yeah, but we're, uh, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do it. anything. Yeah, yeah. The there there's another uh, really good example of this in the comics. There's a comic series called The Department of Truth. Ooh, and that I sounds cool. I feel like if control wasn't the Federal Bureau of Control, it would be the Department of Truth. Like it's very very clearly similar. The writer is a guy named James uh, Tinian, and it's very funny. There's like I think there's like twenty issues or something now through yeah, Image James Comics. James Tinian the fourth, the fourth, yeah. 
uh, it's through Image Comics. It's really good. And the whole concept of it is the entire supernatural world is a tulpa that the most powerful nation on earth gets to control. So in this context for this, define what you mean by a supernatural world. So is, it, is it our world that's supernatural or is it like a separate world? Oh, or? it's hard to explain. This is a minor spoiler because I think it takes like five issues of the comic to figure this that's out. Okay. But the way they describe it, which might be very true of control as well, is that the world is inherently supernatural because the ability to, to control narrative exists and so we don't necessarily understand that the collective power of imagination is real. And if people knew that, it would cause chaos. So the department if, of, if people knew that, it'd be the end of the world. It'd be the end of the world. So the Department of Truth's job is twofold. One is to control what is true, right? Their job is to make sure that the general social consciousness believes things to be true that they want to be true. Because if they think that they're not true, then they won't be true anymore. The, you, the example they use is Flat Earth. I think it's fucking hilarious because in the comic they go, if everyone on Earth decided that the Earth was flat, it fucking would be and that would be very bad. Have you seen on Netflix um, the show Inside Job? <laughs> CJ just took a glass of water and is, is nodding frankly. Yes, very, very, very much like this. Yes. It's I, the I, idea I, that I, like- I love in that one because uh, they, they like basically any conspiracy theory is true and they're all of it and they're like- Flat Earth is too much for them to go with the Hollow Earth theory instead. Yeah, yeah, Hollow <laughs> yeah. Earth, right? But it's, it is this. It is. It's very similar in that, like, there is a secret government conspiracy. It's just not what you think it is. It's not the X Files where they're looking for proof of alien life. They're way beyond that. They're worried that if enough people on Earth think that aliens are invading, that they fucking will be. That's not okay. So their job... And the aliens will be like the, the most disastrous exactly. versions that people will think of. So their job is to make sure that if and when we decide to, to have extraterrestrial communication, the Department of Truth will be in charge of, of putting out whatever messages we need for the general public to agree that that is a good thing and that this is okay, right? Because then it will be okay. The whole point of the reason it was set up is Cold War. The Russians figured out this at the same time the Americans did. Wait, sorry, this reminding this is still in context. This of is the context the of the Department, Department of Truth. Truth. Yeah. yeah. And so it's fascinating because they have like Lee Harvey Oswald as a main character and he runs the Department of Truth. And oh, you're like, what the that's fuck? That's actually fucking But it makes sick. so much sense because they're like the problem they had is that the Russian version of what the truth should be was an anathema, antithetical to what the American government wanted the truth to be. They cannot win. So one of them has to convince the rest of the world to agree. So the point of the Cold War was not stop or we'll nuke you. It was get everybody else on our side and then it doesn't matter what you think is true because we outnumber you. If the Western world thinks that America is the most powerful country in the world, guess what? It is, right? So I'm like, this is fascinating. I would argue that the Department of or the Bureau of Control in control is kind of doing the same thing. Their job is not necessarily to to be in control of the items. Well, it, it is because like for, for control, they're actually kind of doing both. They're right? doing both. Their job is to control what is and is not real to the general public, right? Because the idea of a tulpa is obviously real here. They know that by enough people working in the office building, the building remembers what shape it's supposed to be. It's yeah. a fascinating game mechanic that and you can keeps, trash keeps a room. And it keeps shifting and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. In, in game, it works really well as a mechanic. You can trash a whole room, fucking upend everything. And if you come back an hour later, it's perfectly normal again. Yeah. And you go, oh, 
if this was any other game, you'd go, oh, the game just can't render enough of the room to remember what I left the room like. In control... Well, the thing... The, the, the game is limited by that. It but is, it is. But they've made it a narrative yeah, plot they've point. tied it in to make sense. So it, it, yeah. it makes it feel a lot better. And so I'm like, it works that you need a director of the Bureau. You need that director to know what the board wants them to know is true. And in the case of Control, especially when you hit the Foundation DLC, you actually need a director who is able to question the board and go, hang on a minute, the board is not human. The board is very clearly something else. Yeah. I don't know if I should be taking orders from the board. I might need to use my own brain here. Yeah, especially when it, when it uh, comes to fruition that like there's the board and then there's the observer who used to be on the board. The former. Go, the former, that's it. Yeah. yeah, multiple names. The former, the observer, the other. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, okay, so uh, I, I, I want to do one thing. I couldn't figure out how to get this into the conversation, but this seems like a good point. Did you ever in your playing of Control stumble across what happened to the first board-appointed director, Director Northmore? Uh, I don't think I did find out, but I think I heard about it because someone's mentioning it to me uh, where he's actually still alive and in the building. He is very much alive and in the building. Yeah. In fact, he is a core part of the function. Is he, of the building. He's the living furnace. He, well, no, he's not the furnace, but you're very close. The furnace is its own thing. There's a whole subplot to that, which is great. You throw the TVs in, it's a thing. The, uh, oh yeah, I need it. The throwing the TVs in is like a whole like hidden. It's a hidden quest. hidden side quest. I need to go it back. It unlocks and do that. a really good mod for one of the guns. Yeah, really good. The okay. So do you remember? Uh, this is a well, this is a huge spoiler because it's kind of a fun main plot point. But anyway, there's the janitor Artie. Yeah, I love him. Okay, and you talk to him very beginning of the game. He's the first character your character talks to. His name's Artie. He's Finnish. He's the janitor, and he he says to you, "You're here for the job. You're going to be the janitor's assistant." is a very important plot point because you are in fact the janitor's assistant for the whole game because the janitor is the oldest house. He is a representative of or the owner of or in control of. You think he's, like quite literally he is the oldest house. He, well, he may not literally be the oldest house, but certainly it's his house. Yeah. Right? So when he hires you as the janitor's assistant and you listen to him, it sounds like he's giving you bullshit make work. Like, go, go, go. I, I do love, like, that uh, initial, like, uh, uh, conversation with Adi too. Like, Jesse is like, I've worked in this, uh, like, area before. I know how Adi works. I know his way of, of, of like, interacting with people. He's my kind of person. Yeah, We're going to yeah, get on well. Yeah, and it's that. It's it's that she understands that when he says things like, and he uses, if you put subtitles on, it's very funny. They're all like Finnish sayings. Oh, yeah. Absolutely hilarious, right? I, 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 I mean, I generally play with subtitles anyway. So yeah. having subtitles, same thing with the board. Yes. Where they'll say stuff and they'll have like multiple words for one yeah. word. Yeah. It's really important, right? The the What he's getting you to do when he gets you to turn the coolant pumps back on. Mm. And he says to you, and if you have subtitles on, you'll catch it. He says, the pensioner inside the power station is feeling the band tighten around his head. Okay, right. so when you go and you turn the power, the coolant pumps back on. I do, I do remember like power yeah. in, in, in the building too is like its whole it's all, own, it's own thing, thing, right? And you remember you go to maintenance and there's the giant power plant thing in the middle called the NSC. Yes. You figure out what NSC stands for? Northmore. Northmore Sarcophagus Containment. Are you fucking kidding? 100%. Are there documents in the there game There are multiple this? documents that explain this. I need, I need to go back and look at this. You got to look them up, right? So the NSC is the main power unit, right? It's the generator. The NSC 2, it's called. And this is important because in one of the DLCs, you get to a place called the Formation. If you look up and behind you, which you normally wouldn't do, you'll see floating in the sky the first NSC. Huh. And there's a whole, there's a whole collectible that explains what happened. But basically, Northmore 
the first board appointed director got power crazy and he was going collecting all of these altered items and and imbuing them into his own abilities right so in the game Jessie is is attaching these altered items and she can now fly a bit she can dash really fast she can use telekinesis yep. these are all things that the first director or the first board appointed director could also do and he was doing it the same way right he uses the floppy disk for telekinesis. Yep. That's what it's for. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it, it got to a point where he he his body temperature was becoming fully unnatural. He was 100 degrees all the time. It became a problem. And so he's talking to Dr. Ash, who was one of the original heads of department, right? Head of research, which in the Foundation DLC, you realize he got lost in the Foundation and was never found again. Yeah. And now uh, Pope I, is his like assistant or whatever. She's now the new head of research, right? So Northmore... Was put into well, in between like uh, uh, Doctor Darling as well. Yes, Doctor Darling. We haven't, who, even, we haven't even touched on him yet. Haven't even I, I, him I wanna, we're going to get back to him. him. the 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 NSC, the sarcophagus containment thing, right, is the generator because inside it lives Northmore, generating energy constantly. The coolant pumps are not for like nuclear power; they're to keep him from exploding inside the sarcophagus. Right, so you have to reattach the power and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, "Fuck!" If you head to the second from the top level of the NSC itself in maintenance, yep. you can see TV screens that show an infrared footage of a man flying around inside the NSC. Like oh it's very God. clearly there. They hide it, but they don't hide it. Like yeah. it's it's like, there. Like, like it's there for you to find. Yeah. And once you find it, like it, all all yeah, the stuff is like, there. I need to, I need to go back and I have it's very a look. cool because like it's one of those things too where like it's so like fucked and dark. Yeah. But when you think about like what's happening in the world and, and where it would happen and where they would go with it, like it is fucked. It's fucked, but it, but make, it makes perfect sense. What are you going to do, right? I love it. And so like there's a memo from Tench who was the next director and he talks about how he designed the sarcophagus specifically for this purpose. He knew he was going to be the next director. They chucked Northmore in there. It all kind of went crazy. They had to build a second one. Finally, it all works. Tench is now the director. He's the director for X amount of time. And then he find the ordinary incident occurs where yep. Jesse and Dylan are are you know their story kind of begins. So for for quickly as well because I don't think we've explained the ordinary incident because uh, this kind of feeds into the, like the entire story for the game. Yeah, the kind of the the inciting incident is not the beginning of the game. It happens in Jesse's childhood. Yeah, so Jesse and Dylan are kids in their town. I forget the original town, but they it's find, ordinary. It's called ordinary. Oh, it's ordinary. They yeah. find this slide projector where e- and, and a bunch of slides with it, and each slide is a kind of like doorway or gateway to a different dimension yeah and they open one and this is where polaris comes in this is where the hiss comes from and infects dylan the fpc comes in takes dylan jesse runs away jesse burns all of the slides except for one except for one and then the fpc takes this the slide projector and that slide to the to the oldest house and at at oh, right before the start of the game um is when it's been opened and the hiss have come in yep. and they're inside uh, the Federal Bureau of Control and now you're here as director and the game starts. The game starts. But it is very much the idea that Jesse is important to the story in a way that she doesn't understand yet. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it almost feels like she's she's the ideal director for reasons that she'll never understand. And as she pieces it together and she realizes the Bureau was tracking her for years, all her like paranoia was real. They really were watching her. And she was always part of the experiment to figure out who the next director should be. So they had had the prime candidate program uh, of which her brother was six and she is seven. So there's five other prime candidates that we never really hear about. But you end up with Dylan and Jesse and they ultimately decide Dylan's probably not going to be the ideal candidate. Uh, He's raised inside the foundation. Oh, sorry, inside um, the Bureau. 
See, I just like slipped in a little SCP there. Oh. He's raised by the Bureau. Uh, he's got these magic powers, blah, 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 right? Jesse doesn't have any of that, but she does have the link to Polaris. And so the idea here, which is like a little double entendre, hey, wait for it, is that she is the control in an experiment. Oh, that makes sense. Hey, she got yeah. to go out and live her life and therefore is the control. And and they're monitoring, they've been monitoring her, her entire life. Yeah. But never interacting. Keeping she was tabs. always kept away from the bureau. Yeah, and so you go, oh fuck, I get it. The name means a few things. I can see. Well, why I they mean, went with it's control. also the kind of thing where like no one can find the bureau unless the bureau wants them to find them. Yeah, yeah. You, so you, what, so yeah. The, the the time when she walks into the building at the start of the game with Polaris is the only time she could have ever done it. Exactly. Yeah. She could have been looking for it for years, and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, this is like. You you build up this all this stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, there's there's a lot to unpack, and you go the thematics on a surface level are about government oversight, the paranormal, blah blah blah. blah. That's not really what it's about. Both Annihilation, the book, the film, the SCP Wiki control. It's all really more about wanting to know the truth, no matter the cost, and it's about this weird self destructive drive where. You ask the mysterious gatekeeper, let me in. I want to know. I want to see. And the gatekeeper says, it'll kill you. It will annihilate you. This will destroy you. And you go, I'm self-destructive. I have to know. I would rather die knowing than live never knowing. And that, that, I mean, I mean, that theme has been done in countless stories. Countless. But it works so well. I'm yeah. like, this is what I mean about like, even if I were to do SCP, it only works if I understand that. Because if all I'm doing is adapting the wiki directly, it's not that interesting. You could do a comedy that way. You could do, there's a few different ways to adapt that content in a way that would be entertaining. But unless you're capturing that that deep, deep, deep inner meaning of like, we're going to tell you a secret and you're going to hate that we told you even though you love knowing. And you're like, wait, what? Your curiosity is going to get the better Your of you. Your curiosity is going to get the better of you. And I know that about you, which is why you're the perfect person to ask this question and why I'm going to tell you. If you can get that to work with the audience where you're giving them that same, you know, riddle me this like like uh, do you really want to know do you want to push play on this movie because if you do you're going to learn something pretty mind-blowing and you'll never be the same and the uh, audience goes fuck yeah give it to me you look at anything about that in control but it's interesting looking both at control and annihilation we're like as soon as you look at even like a tiny snippet as soon as you get a peek into that window you're never going to be the same person again even in control looking at um like those little TV show uh, snippets of all the PSAs or like the, the, mm, all the clips of the, the radio show. kids animated, whatever it was. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, all, all, all of that is always like, as soon as you look at any of this kind of stuff, it uh, it opens like a perspective. That, you know what this makes me think of? Go on. And this may not be okay to say legally, publicly yeah. on the podcast, but it's like the first time you do acid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, have you done acid before? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It was one of those things where like, Having my first acid trip, <laughs> coming out the other side, and and like being and like looking at things, it's it's interesting because like a, it's been a while since I've done it now. So describing the before and the after is a little bit difficult or hazy. It's hazy, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's the idea of like even if you only ever do it once, your your way of thinking and your perspective and the, and the way you kind of like look at the world is different. It changes. It changes your your inner optics. Yeah. Um, like and I, and I I think in, in a way that's actually like having that that extra layer unlocked I suppose for like a mm. better term I think is really cool um, 
so it's kind of thing where like beforehand you had no concept of it and you and you wouldn't like even if people ask you to try and like come up with it you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to explain it until you've experienced it yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. the same thing here where like as soon as you look at any part of like objects of power altered altered world events or even in control like the dna re- refractoring and all this kind of stuff as soon as you're exposed to it you won't ever be the same even if it's just knowledge and not like the physical exposure yeah i feel like that's such an interesting there's there's uh control does it a little bit um they talk about like mimetic security and i'm like this is a it's big in the scp wiki this idea that like there's there's stuff that you can know and it won't fucking break you yeah but like once you cross a particular thing you need a different level of security where it's like you know the things pop up and say like if if you proceed past this point and you are not x y or z you'll die this will kill you. It is designed to kill you because you are not allowed to know this. If you are X, Y, or Z, you're going to be fine, but also you're not going to be fine. Be yeah. aware, this is your last warning. If you cross this threshold, there is no going back. I find it fascinating that like in control, they have like literal security key cards that you collect and it gives you more clearance and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Yep. So you realize the guys with level one and two security clearance, they're aware of like, the chainmail letter that flies around yeah. and the rubber ducky that teleports. They have no idea about the interdimensional incursion from the fucking, well, like, it's, it's, it's like, whole it's, other levels. I right? mean, like even, even with like the top security clearance, right? Uh, looking at the foundation DLC, even the name found the foundation and anything related to all of that, even for top level clearance, unless you're the director that's classified. Yeah. Yeah. I was so sure when they announced the foundation DLC that it was going to be a direct SCP reference. And I was so pissed off when it wasn't, but it's like, why, why would they? Right. But, but also at the same time, if you go in without a context of SCP, it still, it still works. It still yeah. is so good. I like, there's a, a subplot at one point. Uh, you have to go into a closed off research wing of containment that had like, it's been sealed off because of these clocks. Yeah. Oh, I love the clock room. Yeah. With the anchor. Yeah. And that's where you get um, like levitation for the first time. Yeah. yeah. It's the only uh, part of the entire game that has level nine security and you don't get to open it. Only the guy that you're with, the medic dude can open level nine security doors. And it made me realize like, like I, I, I remember looking at that being like, I'm pretty sure like I can only get five. What the fuck is six? Nine? Six is the highest. Six, yeah. You, you end up with six at the end of the game. And the idea is that like, there's obviously more and, and Jesse as director will eventually have access to it all. But I like the idea, like technically this is her first day. Yeah. Like, she's just turned up. There is probably all sorts of crazy shit between six and nine that she is not cleared to know yet because it's a, it's a, it, you have to build up to it. Yep. If, if, if the very first thing that you did when you walked into the building was we're going to send you into a sealed off parallel dimension full of clocks and you're going to have to fight an anchor. Like you'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd be like, I see why the clearance levels exist and like why they make sense. But I do love the idea that like it makes it feel very bureaucratic and very real. Because you're like, I, I, I've worked in government agencies before and I know what it's like when they talk about security clearances and you're like, behind oh. that door is all sorts of secret information that I'm not supposed to yeah. know, but I want to know. I, I worked for the Department of Defense for a year when yeah, I was in uni. Go. And uh, I, I was just in the kind of like web, web and comms area. So anything I was looking at was declassified any, anyway. But even then, like I'm still technically not allowed to talk about the details publicly. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, on the walls, in the hallways, in the offices, like, keep our secret secret, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Don't, yeah. e- don't even tell people, like, what your coworkers get up to after work. Yeah. This is what they mean by, like, mem- memetic security is that, like, it's the whole building is designed but, but, like, to remind you this lit- is secret. Literally working in an office with posters 
like yeah. next to every door being like keep our secret secret all this kind yeah. of stuff that is you've seen it's the, fucking uh, surreal actually being the, in that environment the cat hanging going hang in there instead of that it's like loose lips sink ships like people will die if you take yeah, something like, out of like you're building. not allowed to to plug any unauthorized usbs into any yeah. computers that stuff like that it's yeah. fucking bizarre it's it is it is kind of wild where like i mean it makes sense it makes sense it makes sense but i i love that like that's such a natural human thing to be like i want to know more i want to know the truth i want to know the real the, I, mean, I mean that's the other thing too is like it's as soon as you're in that environment and as soon as you're being shown the stuff that you're allowed to see, it immediately makes you want to know like, what's the stuff that like they're not showing me? Yeah. Like what's the more advanced secret stuff? Like yeah. what, the, what the fuck is going on? And I mean, Annihilation, I think as a film does it in a way that the books get into later, but the first book doesn't really. The first book is like 99% inside area. It's just like the film, right? Yeah. But in, in the film at the very beginning, they open on the interrogation and they're like, we're in the dark just as much as anybody. We don't know what the hell's going on. We don't know what happened in the whatever. And then they, you sort of get this intro into like, oh, there's a secret government organization. It's called the Southern Reach. There's a, there's a para, there's a dimensional incursion of some sort. Cool. And the whole time the characters are kind of like, we're only going to tell you what you need to know. And the main character is like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, Fuck that. I would be like, you got to tell me everything. I want to know everything. But it's also but, like but she that, knows that, that they're not going to tell her. Well, I, I think that's it too. That's a why we wouldn't we wouldn't ever be in there because yeah. that's a massive risk already. Um, yeah, I, I'm I, never going to get like top, top, top secret clearance because I would just be like, tell me more. What's above I mean, this? What else is there? To be, to be fair as well, I think it is the kind of thing too. Like if you work in that field, it's kind of like expected that like you're not told everything and you have to go of that. Mm. Similar thing, uh, I, I don't know how many times you'd have to sign NDAs for, for working on film projects and stuff not like that. Not as often as games, definitely but, not. But games, literally everything is an NDA. Yeah. So if I'm ever catching up with a friend who's working on a game and another project or whatever, it's kind of like assumed that like we don't ask specifics yeah. because we know that we're not allowed to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, you just know, yeah. Um, which, which is really interesting to, to like ask like how work is, how, how is work going and all this kind of stuff without finding out about any details of what the project is they're working yeah. on. Yeah. I'd say this is interesting, actually. Uh, you've, you've, you've raised a point that's reminded me of something. So in Annihilation, they, they mention in the movie, I think it's like an offhand thing, that not a lot of technology works inside Area X. And so they talk about how we can give you like a basic DV mini cam, but you can't take like a, a brand new, you know, Sony camcorder in. Yeah. They talk about how like the radios aren't going to work right, and they talk about how we're going to give you a, a level of technology that we think works in there, but nothing else, right? And in control, they kind of have like a lot of the tech in control in the bureau. I was gonna, I, this is going to be another point that I was going to bring up too, where like in, like uh, I think in the lobby or in the first like security thing at the side of the game, when you walk in, one of the first documents you can find is a list of things that you can't bring in yeah. to the thing. A lot of it is like any kind of technology, any smartphone smartphone smartwatch any smart kind of device yeah. um no object that is like a unique identifier of that object yeah so you can't uh like an example would be like a crowbar i guess because like you look at a crowbar and you know instinctively that's a crowbar and nothing else yeah um and then and then when you're in uh you know the the building and the, and the fbc all of their methods of communication uh old like 60s uh, a message in the tube going through the pipe system and all this kind of stuff. And like everything being analog yeah, makes make so much sense of what they're dealing with. But in, in, in uh, for the aesthetic for the game as well, it, it works was, really it well. It was so cool. But why, why do you think that rule exists? 
I'm curious what your thought process. Like, why do you think they have those rules? Any unique identifiers could be like an like a, an easy way for an altered item or an object of power to come up. Anything smart that's digital or or, or could even if it's not physically, but could be connected to the outer world. That's just a massive security huge risk. security risk, right? What if I were to tell you it's not actually that? Tell me your thing. So the reason they do it in Annihilation is I think the same reason it is in Control, right? It's not to do with certain levels of technology don't work. They explain to the main character that only certain types of tech work inside Area X. So they're not going to bother giving them fancy shit because it just doesn't work, right? In Control, there is a similar document that can be found later on that says something along the same lines. They find that smart technology, as a general rule, just doesn't work inside the other Oh, I, I, I just thought like the implications right. of like well, an power or altered item with a smart device, right? Because you be go, well, you don't want you don't want to bring, as you said, security risk, right? Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to let people bring in something that could be security risk. However, I think, and this is this is articulated much better in the sequel book, Authority. Uh, from an annihilation. But, from we're, annihilation. but we're talking about control here still? It's both. Okay. And the reason it's both is because they're both about an interdimensional incursion. Ooh. They don't want to bring in technology that might be falling into the hands of the enemy and give the enemy an understanding of what our actual level of technology is. That would make a lot of sense. Right? So you kind of go, okay, you work at the NSA. But then also- They don't want you bringing okay, in your smartphone because that, you might accidentally Wi-Fi it or whatever and leave That raises a question. If you don't want to bring in the advanced level of technology for the security risk of giving it to the enemy, you're limiting yourselves to using the older technology. What's the benefit of limiting yourself there? Is that, Could there be a way where you could have like a separate location where you do stuff with more advanced tech and bring that information into the, into the, like the live environment? I would say possibly. I, I would have to assume that uh, the sequel to Control will get into that. Possibly Alan Wake 2 because they... Without spoiling heaps, it's in the trailer, but uh, one I, of I have the, a feeling the sequel for Control, based on like one of the cover art images um, for the announcements in development, might be going to the moon or going out of space somewhere. It's possible. It's possible. Who knows what Who knows? what shit you could be finding? Like the, if you're on the International Space Station. Yeah. The thing is, we only know that the Bureau's head office is in New York, in the oldest house. We don't, at this point, know much more beyond that. Oh, and, and we know about um, Ocean View Hotel. But they don't Vaguely. own the Ocean View Hotel. Yeah, no. They use it to transit through, and they know what it is. They think they know what it is. They don't know where it is. But they don't know where it is. Alan Wake knows where it is, because yeah. Alan Wake has been to the Ocean View Motel at least a few times. And he shows up in the AWE DLC for Control. Sure does. And it will be again in Alan Wake 2, oh because God, it's in wait. the trailer. I can't. Wait, wait, the Ocean View Hotel's in the trailer? It is indeed. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> So you can already tell, right, that that the world is bigger than we think it is. The games will expand in it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it is very likely, if you were this secret government organization, that you would have a place that is not attached to something else in which you do play with much better technology, right? But it does make a lot of sense because you realize um, in the book Annihilation, no, sorry, they don't talk about it in Annihilation, but in the sequel book Authority, the main character is the new director of the Southern Reach. And his job... What's the Southern Reach? So the Southern Sorry. Reach is is what the organization is called that is monitoring Area X. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. in the movie yeah. Annihilation, the base that they train at before they go in... That's the Southern that's Reach. That's the Southern Reach. Yeah, makes sense. And it's, it's, it's arguably described as a military branch and the way they're kitted out makes you think it's military. More likely it's CIA. 
right? It's, yeah. it's some kind of intelligence agency, NSA, something like that, right? Given that it's, it's some kind of intelligence agency with a military department, yeah, similar to um, in, in the notes for the Foundation DLC for Control, where they talk about bringing in external people to look yes. at caves. Yeah, they actually just start thinking about like, why don't we just make a fucking department and yeah. train people up to scale cliffs and stuff? Yeah, because it, it makes more sense when you're like, we have to keep this a secret. Uh, you know, this is the uh, <laughs> this is the joke about that film Armageddon. Is it easier to train astronauts to drill or to train drillers to be astronauts? Huh. Like one of those is significantly easier than the other, but we picked the harder one, and there's a reason for that. Like yep. it does seem like a dumb movie logic thing to do, but it's also like if you were NASA and that was the job, you'd be like, well, they're not really being astronauts. They have to go to space, but what they're actually doing is drilling into an asteroid. We don't want to have to train that, astronauts the, to do that. Yeah, yeah. So this is the theory, right? They go like, okay, I would have to assume in the same way the Southern Reach does it in Annihilation, you you don't want to send into Area X this interdimensional incursion of you don't know what is on the other side. You don't want to give those guys mic- microchips. That would be a very bad idea. You don't want to give them the internet. You definitely don't want to give them the internet. If, if, that, if whatever is on the other side of that impermeable barrier that everybody seems to disappear into and only come back changed, if whatever that is got an understanding that we can split the atom, it would probably change the game. <laughs> so you have to be really careful. So a lot of it is not to do with like, oh, we're worried that it's going to like get a phone and read wiki. No, we're worried that it's going to do the math and figure out that we can manipulate things on a subatomic level. And if it knows that, it might decide to kill us instead of just invading. The books of the Southern Reach surgery go into this in a big way where the end of the second book, the invasion happens. And they're like, it, like Area X really is some kind of invasive creature biosphere something. Oh man. And it, it does want to get rid of human interaction. It just doesn't understand how to do that because it doesn't know what we are. Yeah. When it finally figures out what we are, it it essentially starts a worldwide invasion pretty much overnight. <laughs> it's and you're Ultron. like, oh my God, right? Again, I haven't started, well, no, I've started reading it, but I haven't finished the third book. So I'm not entirely clear how it winds up. But certainly the characters in the second one are terrified that this thing could destroy the whole human race overnight if it wanted to. And they are very aware. So there's like the 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 hidden department known as Central. And again, like, is it the CIA? They never say it, but it's called Central. Yeah. And you go, right. Well, like if it's on CIA, like it's a CIA equivalent, right? It's NSA, it's something. It'd right? be the same thing it's as one like, of the three whatever, other whatever department would be looking after Area 51. Exactly, right? Well, technically that's the Air Force. Wouldn't surprise me if the Air Force was responsible for the Southern Reach. It would make a lot of sense. They, yeah. they deal with highly specialized and secret information all the time. Yeah. And they have military scientists, which is not a thing that you get everywhere. You, you know, that's a whole subplot in there of like the Bureau of Control in control, very similarly, has scientists who can shoot guns. Yeah. That's not a thing that you find it's like, out it's in it's the like wider a, world. Anyone who is in uh, the, the Federal Bureau of Control, no matter what like level, what role, whatever, you are military trained. Yeah, like you've had military like do- training. Dr. Darling Casper, head of research, is military trained. Yeah, and they're, like that's, that's unusual. So you kind of go like, okay whoever is running this, they are aware of the things that they're dealing with, right? So you go like, it's not the same as X-Files where it's like, we've got two agents who deal with weird shit, right? They're like, no, 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 no. This is an entire government department whose only job is to deal with very specific types of problems. It's kind of like the two agents in the X-Files, but just like scale that up. Scale that up. Like, yeah, yeah. like what if the X-Files wasn't just two people in a basement department what if it was its own branch teddy bear yeah yeah Yeah. you're like no no it's its own branch of the fbi right and it's called like fbi x and it's they're they're a different set of agents not even a branch of the fbi because in the world of control 
the F the FBI the FBC and is, the FBC yeah, separate thing. are two separate things. Yeah. They work together and they confront each other a lot, but they're two specific yeah. different government uh, departments. Yeah, so it's they're so kind of interesting. It's part of that thing of like you you don't want your potential enemy, right? In the instance of control, it's the hiss, right? Yeah. We don't. We still at the end of that game don't really know what the hiss actually is, right? And 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 like really what they want, like yeah, they want yeah. They, they they're killing you and they want to like they want to take over. But like, to what end? Why? Yeah. What's their What's their raison de trait? Well, we have what's no What's the reasoning? What's the intent? Like, so we don't know what would happen if the Hiss figured out a lot more of how the human race really operates. So part of it is, what if we lose? We need a literal firebreak, right? If we can't stop the Hiss with our sixties level technology, we might be able to do it with our nineties level technology. But we don't want to try that without trying the sixties level first, because if we use the 90s level technology and it turns out to be able to overcome that and adapt that, we don't have much more room to go. Yeah. We want to see if we can take it out or deal with it first without using microchips, without bringing in late 90s, early 2000s tech, because once you hit that threshold, oh man, you've opened up a huge can of worms. It's so, I mean, I mean, just thinking about like, you know, 1960s tech and like the sci-fi stuff, thinking about control as like a 1960s themed sci-fi yeah. that's set in the modern world is so cool. It's so like, cool. Like it's so specific uh, and both specific in terms of its theme and how it ties into the story, but I love it. It, yeah. it, it, it works so well. It's very uh, aesthetically pleasing. Yes. It's very like, it's, and this is, I was going to make a note of this. It, Remedy does this really well. All of their games do this really well. They're very cinematic. Oh, They've known think, for years I, I this that's, idea that's, that it's the same thing. I think that's part of games. why it draws me so much to it is how cinematic it is. I mean, thinking about it, and again, Control is a purely single-player game, right? It's not like a games as a service thing. It's, it's basically a single-player game, big budget, crafted, awesome. In terms of like games that have come out in part in like recent years, Control is probably like up there. It's like one of my favorites. Oh, 100%. 100%. I reveled in playing it again. It and was then, so good. And then, the, and this is going to tie into like another uh, thing I wanted to, to talk about, but like it being very cinematic and it using live action film yeah, in the game. Incredible. All, all of the videos that you come across, both like the Threshold Kids and Dr. Darling Casper, like... His little music video, did you his, see that? I did. With, with Director Trench in there as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the actors, it's the, it's the actual actors who look like the, the characters in the game yeah. as well. All those live action, like, service announcements and, and the videos of Casper um, actually seeing, like, an actual person rather than, like, a, a character uh, rendered in engine. Yeah. How that all fed in with the game... It's genius. Like, that multimedia... Yeah. Uh, you know, mixing up was so cool. Every time I, I found one of those videos, I sat through and watched the whole thing. It was so satisfying. That's, I think that's the bit for me that I love is that it, they all remedy already knew that games could be films and vice versa. Right. Quantum break was the first one from them that I saw that I went, Oh fuck, they get it. They fucking get it. I don't know much about quantum break. I should look into it. Highly, highly recommend checking it out. It has a couple of Easter eggs for Control because they were developing Control at the same time. Makes sense. Back when the game was going to be called AWE or there's throughout Quantum Break, there's like graffiti that you can find that says AWE and has like, it's all, yeah. Cool. They were very clearly, they're very into this. Argu I don't know if I can prove this one yet, but arguably uh, Quantum Break is also in the same universe as Alan Wake and Control. 
Well, at this point, it's it, uh, and like it's a it's a through line that like a bunch of different uh, you know directors or twos yeah. or companies do. But like, if all of Remedy's games are set in the same world, that makes sense to me. It makes a be, lot of sense. And to be honest, that's a big selling point for me to look Huge. at Huge stuff. Yeah, and I mean, you can kind of tell they don't do it in Quantum Break because obviously it predates Control, right? But if they were ever going to do a Quantum Break two, it would have the Bureau in it yeah. because what happened in Quantum Break is an altered world event. And it would absolutely get the attention of the FBC, right? They would be very interested to talk to a lot of the people involved in what happened and try to piece together the mystery. I love the idea that by playing Quantum Break, you're you're experiencing the mystery firsthand and then maybe in Control 2, we're going to get to read notes about how the FBC dealt with the the outcome of- And like the summary of the event, you know. Could be a lot of fun. Here's the item request. Here's like, you know, the survivors, what happened, what we found. Exactly. Yeah. And you can kind of go like, it makes a lot of sense because they used um, all the actors in it are like real actors. They do movies. Uh, you know, Lance Reddick is in it. And again, tragedy. Oh, so so sad he's gone. Like, you know, uh, he wouldn't be able to be in Quantum Break 2 for multiple reasons. But the idea is that like when they, when they cast him in the game, people were like, oh, it's like a voice thing because that's Lance Reddick's done a few voice things. But no, it's him. And it's like- Full the, like performance the, capture, Full right? performance capture, but also multimedia. They use yeah. real footage of Lance Reddick interrogating uh, Sean Ashmore, I think his well, name Control is. Well, Control has real footage of, um, yeah. I forget the actress who plays it, but, but the person who plays Jessie. Yeah. There's certain like like cinematic moments where you see her like being filmed. Yeah. And it, like real life actor, like bleeding into the game when she's having like her like- dream sequences or psychological yeah. like tr- like hallucinations and stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting idea because I feel like even if the graphics weren't as good as they are and they're quite good, even if they weren't as good as they are, you could still do that real footage thing and it just sells the world so much harder because I'm like when I see that little yeah, Casper Darling doing his little video where he's like so this thing happened and he feels very real. He feels like a scientist because you're like that's an actor doing a real performance. It's not it's CGI it's funny too. clunky. I think uh, Jesse and, uh, and and Pope might be the only two characters where you see them both in the game and like real filmed actors. Because no, no, that's because, not true. Because Pope comes up in one of the mm-hmm. Doctor. Cut- there might be a couple other characters. There's definitely a couple others. Tench Tench comes up a couple times. He does. Uh, uh, but Doctor Darling Casper, you only see films. you only see films. Yeah, Marshall. Uh, she she appears as both. Oh, does she? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Only at the very end of the Foundation. Uh, she's not the end of the Foundation DLC. Instead of Director Tench giving you messages through the hotline, she it's is. Marshall. And if you play those videos, that's really her in a room. It's, oh, it's lit like, really like weirdly, so you can't like see her fully, fully. But right. that is her. Yeah, that makes sense. They had um, they had some really weird. Well, not weird. There's some interesting limitations, I think, with what they were trying to do. Where when they were doing Quantum Break, it was meant to be a TV show at the same time. And they were in That'd talks cool. with Microsoft because Microsoft owns Quantum Break, right? They, it's an exclusive. I mean, Control would be a really cool one to see a TV show about. And this is what I'm getting at. I feel like Remedy has this habit of, or maybe desire to go and transcend whatever media they're actually doing, right? And go like, okay. Um, well, they clearly love like the multimedia aspect They love as it, well. they love it. So you can kind of see the, 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 the groundwork is already laid and they go, okay, we're going to, we're going to create this incredible world and we're going to hire these incredible actors to bring it to life and we're going to make this triple A multi-million dollar game and it's going to do really well and blah, blah, blah. Why would you not go, what if we got those same actors in a room with like triple A writers and we made like a TV show or and a to, movie or whatever? And to be honest, they could they could do similar to what um, 
uh, oh, what was the one that came out on Netflix? The animated one that was made in house by I think it was Dota or Riot or oh, um, um, uh, and it, it was I haven't watched it. It was really good. I did watch this and I can't remember. The but anyway, name. point point is like Remedy could just hire the creative team and develop it in house, and then all they need to do is get dis- distribution. It's called Arcane. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was made entirely in-house from yeah. the game development studio. Because the tech is already there. They could already do it. So like, you know, you know, uh, Remedy, they, they clearly have people filming like on some yeah. kind of studio lot. Yeah. Uh, they'd, they'd be able to bring in a, a creative team for a TV Hunch. show. You know, hi, well, like hire, rent some filming equipment, get a, get, a, get a distributor involved. Ring us, Remedy. Call us. I'll fucking sort you out. Oh my God. The, the, you could I'd do. I'd love to work. If, if Remedy end up like advertising. You could cross-pollinate and have the whole of Annihilation as an altered world event within the Control Universe. And I would play that DLC, 100%. It'd be incredible. Oh my God, it'd be so good. They built themselves a playground that I feel like when they did Alan Wake, the idea of Control might have been a seed in the back of Sam Lake's mind. But Sam Lake being real Sam Lake. Real Sam Lake. Yeah. But the company director. By the time they get to doing control, it was very clear to them. Oh my, we've built something that we could play with for decades. And oh go, my, the, the, I feel. I feel like in terms of a creative project, this is like the ultimate dream is to have some oh, yeah. to have something that like has so much like foundation and world building and larger context that basically like you could do anything you want in terms of any kind of sci fi story in this world and keep it all tied and connected together. Yeah. Kind of similar to how like everything in, in SCP is connected. They have this whole breadth of stuff that they can do to tie anything they do into yeah. the same thing. And again, I said it earlier, to me, that's A, in terms of a creative exercise, a insane, incredible, and I love it, I'm here for it. And B, if I'm looking for something to consume as a piece of media to really like pick apart and enjoy, that's something that I can like come back yeah. to endlessly, and there's always something there's always more, more for me. For it, like even just going back to control, there's so much more that I still haven't seen, and even in all the documents I have collected and read, I can still go back and cross reference. Yeah, and there's, there's so much more for me to do and pick apart and examine. That's so enjoying and satisfying. Like the, there's the, the, <laughs> that, that scale and that scope. It's massive. Is insane. Yeah, yeah. but like like to 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 be able to like work on something like that would be extraordinary wild oh my god it's funny actually the the other cinematic qualities of control are so fucking amazing i've just remembered it's one of the first games i remember and it might be the quantum break was the first one but it's one of the first times i remember seeing a full pre-roll credits on a video game right it's very rare to see in video games i just i i just booted up the original fallout because uh, ne- I've never actually mm. played it, but I've been, you know, like I mentioned earlier, watching Tim Kaine talk about it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So I booted it up to, to start playing it. Um, I I got to, like, to the first, like, combat where we were at, and I couldn't figure out, like, the mechanics. I'm going to need to, like, look up some how-to videos, have a look. But, again, pre-roll credits. All of the development yeah. team, creative team, come up in, like, the opening sequence. It's really rare, but it, when it happens, it seems to be games that lend themselves to being much more cinematic. Yeah. Like, they're aware at the outset. They're like, oh, we've made something that's borderline more cinema than it is video game would you say cinema or would you say just trying to think like maybe it's something like it's it's very much more like creative and like and like a large scope world building they're doing i mean i suppose that in itself lends lends itself well i mean i'd say cinema because that that's a cinematic thing right is right oh and and i suppose like that's borrowed from cinema so that makes sense yeah way way back in the day when films were first a thing they had no questions especially westerns would have up front the very early days there were no credits 
people got mad about this for obvious reasons. You end up with uh, front-loaded credits with a way to go. Oh, right? you, did you see the news about HBO Max? Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's what they were just saying, like created by and just a, a yeah. list of people rather than like writers and directors and all this kind of stuff. That's yeah. Fucking hell. I mean, they 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 went back on it, but it, people well, got they upset. didn't want to though. Yeah. People got upset for good reason. It matters. It matters a lot. It does. And matter. so, like when when films started having pre-roll credits, this is you know. Uh, it, it, it's before Westerns became what they were, but certainly by the time of the Western, it was very, very common to have a 10 minute long credit sequence at the beginning of your film. And they were always done in a way that was like supposed to be interesting. Still, you got some cool music, some visuals. Like it was never just like the Tarantino end of did it with Django Unchained as exactly. a nod to Westerns yeah. and has like a huge, like cinematic, like music 10 minute sequence at the start of the game yeah. with credits it's a whole thing. And then as soon as the credits are done, you're actually taking away from that scene into like the second scene. Yeah. And it's this idea that the the credits are important because what you are about to watch is not a story in isolation. It's a thing that was born of all of these people. Yeah. So in video games, people either tend to skip the credits altogether because they happen right at the very end. And I mean, also as well, like for large scale video games, the amount of people involved huge. Yeah. is like, like the amount of people involved to make a feature is like tiny compared to the amount of people involved in making like a AAA video game. You know, that's why uh, Marvel films have the post-credits sting. So yeah, so th- you'd sit through the credits. It's because of how long the credits are. They're like, no one's going to sit through fucking 10 minutes of credits. Yeah. That's absurd. And they went, you make them, make them sit through the credits. And then and then you see at the very end of the credits that most of the VFX for all the movies are done here in Melbourne, boys. Hey. Here we go. Shout out. You know, under crunch, not great. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, look, there's a lot of issues there, but at least, at least we yeah. have the work. At least we have the talent. But I, I remember those, the intro credits on Control was such an interesting moment because it's happening as you're walking through the game. So it's both cinematic. It's both you're about to experience something that all these people created, but you have already been given control right you're you're walking around the lobby of the building so you just had like the most disgusted face when he said control I hated but, I, but i loved it and i'm like that's a really rare thing to see where your your opening credits are simultaneously giving you that that nod and going what you are about to experience is is more than the sum of its parts and here are some of the reasons why at the same time going, we're not going to make you watch a 10 minute video. It's a video game. I think you it should does, be playing it. I think it does also like, it's a good sign to be like the people behind it are like proud of what they're about to show you mm. versus like, you know, there's been a lot of games that come out recently where like the, the game clearly isn't ready for release yet. And like a, re- a recent example of that is Redfall. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of articles that came out about develop- the, the developers hoping Microsoft would change it or cancel it or make it single player or just, you know, do can, anything, do other anything. Than what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's so I mean, look, there's so many games that come out, which need like six months of patches and updates in order for it to become what it was meant to be when it originally releases mm-hmm. this sign being like, this is polished. This is done. I mean, sure. There might be some performance stuff yeah. for any, anything you need to update, but like we are presenting this in its intended like format and medium and project and create and creative, vision and this is everyone who helped make this happen yeah and 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 here you go here's a title sequence here's like control coming up you're in there's go for your life yeah they're like it's it's it, it's it's almost uh putting a life vest on you a little bit it's yeah. like you're not fully prepared for what's about to happen we want to ease you into it a little bit 
but we also want you to be excited for what's coming. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. this is going to be fun. You're going to have a you're going to have a rocking time. And and like the the, the music and the, and the levels. Oh, the, the the one of the last levels in control when you go through that like ashtray labyrinth maze. maze with with like the metal yeah. Nordic music going yeah. on. We called like take control. Holy shit! Incredible. Uh, 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 just awesome the visuals a lot of the music and like that sequence and a lot of the stuff um, also in Annihilation as well that last sequence of yeah. like in the lighthouse and all the uh, visual imagery reminded me of the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah 100% actually yeah. you know what I went back and thought about this because the music of that that last the music, in, the music in in both Annihilation and Control, yeah, and and like and like the the trippy visual yeah. imagery in both as well. They're kind of unique to the other, but they're they're, they're both doing a very similar thing. That's, yeah, that's so satisfying. The the soundtrack or the music used for the sort of the final ten minutes or so of Annihilation, Annihilation yeah, is very wrong. In that, like, if you listen to it out of the context of the film, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's inverted tones. It's chords that don't link with one another. It, 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 it kind of like it's wrong, but it, it can also be like really cool to listen to it on its own. Yeah, because of how because wrong of that, it and is. I'm like it, 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 like the weird texturing. Yeah. And, and, and and like it's it, very like, alien. And you go, I would, and, and very intentionally, exactly. Yeah, I was like, I fucking love that. As I was reading through the book, I was hearing it, even though I wasn't listening to it. The soundtrack stuck with me, and I was like, fuck, it works so well. Because that music fully entails what it is that's happening. I'd get that as like uh, so. A while ago, I got um, on vinyl record. I got the soundtrack for Drive. Yeah, it's yeah. Two, it's two LPs, so four sides. The first side is all like the go-to music you know. So you got like Kavinsky, Nightcall, yeah, Regular yeah, Human yeah. Being, all that stuff. But the other three sides are just all the atmospheric synthwave like like kind of like background music it's so important to that to stuff, the mood and the know, tone you know like like the 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 well-known stuff is awesome yeah. but like that like moody atmospheric music on its own is, that's the is, fucking movie yeah and like chucking that on in the background while doing whatever i love it if we got uh that that weird textured alien music from annihilation if that was an lp i'd fucking get it are you kidding oh I, I added it on a spotify playlist because i was like i'm gonna do some writing to that or something it it's I was I was listening to the soundtrack for Control on the drive here, and a lot of it again is just that weird, yeah. like like meshy, blendy, atmospheric background music, yeah. and it's kind of like un- unnerving and unsettling it's unnerving. because it's yeah. weird, but it's so cool. It's so cool. The that soundscape, and I think with Control, that that song that you mentioned with the ashtray maze is such a good po- moment of like, up until that point, it is a very moody game. And there's a lot of moody sounds. There's that a entire of, sequence of going through the maze. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. And it gives you this moment of going like, you're headed to the end. This is, you're, you're reaching a climax of sorts. We want you to feel pumped and we want you to feel overpowered because you are now fully kitted up. And, and, you've, and, and, you've like, and, and like you've played and, you, and you've earned your way to this moment. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, you've you built all the building blocks to get here. Here's like, yeah. Uh, what's the word when you're like, you reap the rewards of yeah, your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's amazing. I think that that to me struck me as like an incredibly cinematic moment because it felt like the start of a third act of a film. Yeah, I was like, this is fucking yeah. And I yeah, knew yeah. the ending was coming. I mean, even if even having already played it once before, it's very clearly signposting like once you get through the mash, ashtray maze, there's not much left story wise. Like you're headed to the end of this. Like, okay, great. You're coming to the conclusion. You're coming to like yeah. what's going to happen with 
Dylan with Polaris with the slide projector. Yeah. Where the fuck is uh, Darling? What happened to Trench? Yeah. How is this all? And I also love that we never actually get the full answer to where is Darling? Like what have, happened to him? I have a feeling it's probably going to come up in the second. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah, because that, that's one of the biggest like loose threads. Right? Yeah. It's, he he understood fully and disappeared. And you're like, yeah, okay, go on. But I love that. I mean, we we, we also still don't understand the hist fully as well. So yeah. surely, there's, like, there's there's going to be some follow up there. There must be that idea that we don't know what the hist really wants. And it's like, okay, so annihilation has that same vibe of the enemy is so inhuman. It's so not a thing that you can you you can't empathize with it because you don't understand how it thinks. Yeah. There's no way for you to put yourself in its shoes. You don't know if it has feet, right? And I love that where you're going to that cosmic horror space of going, it kind of doesn't matter. You, you This is not a Star Wars good versus evil type scenario here. You don't have to think the Hiss are the bad guys. The Hiss might be the good guys. It doesn't matter. And I'm sure the Hiss from their perspective are right? just trying to survive. And that's it. Maybe and they're just animalistic. Maybe they're not malicious, right? Yeah. But you don't know. And you can never know because they're so inherently... And you know, when, when the Hiss corrupts like all the different like soldiers and military trained people yeah. and you know, you're fighting them. So they're going to fight back. Like again, that's kind of nature. It's the same as the um, refracted or like alien version yeah. of Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac at the end of Annihilation where like yeah. they're mimicking. Yeah. And only he says, also it attacked you. And she goes, it was, it was mimicking me. Yeah. I attacked, I attacked it. it first. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, when Natalie Portman is being pressed up against the door because she's fighting, as soon as she, relaxes yeah. and lets go, then so does the thing. They fall, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, then, and then yeah. you know, being gentle and handing it a grenade and not being aggressive and then running away. Like that's kind of like how uh it was so it's so interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and, and then and then thinking about um all the like playing control and watching Annihilation and all the different moments thinking about like you know, they've got SCP, they've got the X-Files, they've got 1001 Space Odyssey. They've got so many different nods and references and inspirations to so many other, like, classic projects and movies and games and stuff that clearly, like, the creators love. We've talked about this before, too, yeah. where, like, parody is a love it's letter. It's love. It's all love. This isn't parody, but it's it's all, like, it's everything is the sum of its parts. Yeah. And it all comes together in a beautiful way. Yeah. The I, I've just remembered something which I find really interesting. It's not in the film... And I'm not entirely sure why. We'd have to ask Alex Garland, I think. But in the book, Annihilation, there is a creature. I won't spoil it because you might read the book and it's actually kind of a cool twist. There's a thing in... That's, that's not in the movie, you said. It's not in the movie. There's a thing that lives in what they call the tower and or the tunnel. And that name is a point of contention within Ooh. the story. But it appears to be an inverted version of the lighthouse, right? So in the film, Natalie Portman's character kind of goes into this hole in the lighthouse. Yeah. That type of thing exists in the book, but there's a different type of thing in it. And in this tunnel tower, whatever you want to call it, it's writing on the walls, right? Oh. And it's writing these words. And the words are sort of nonsensical. It's very cosmic art. It's very Lovecrafty. And yeah. it's like they mean things, but they don't mean things, if that makes any sense. You can read them and they process into sentences that seem to go on forever and they reference things that feel vaguely apocalyptic or evil or, sure, or yeah. like a sermon from a preacher, that kind of deal, right? But they don't mean anything. 
That, weirdly, is what the hiss is doing to the people in control who are not protected by the, the HRAs. All those people we mentioned at the beginning right. who are floating around the it's office. Because they don't have the HRA protection. They don't have the HRA protection. They're, they're spouting this nonsense. They're saying these words over and over. Yeah, and over it's, and it's, all, it's almost like they're possessed and they're speaking. And, yeah. yeah. And it just Very occurred creepy. to me. It's so cool. That is almost a direct connection in that it's not in the movie Annihilation, but it's very much in the book. The, the, the words are important. They come up a lot. They uh, get into people's brain like an infection. It makes me think too. I think I can't remember if this was in one of the DLCs or not, but um, you find documents and then you end up having to do the side quest of, to give the person in the bunker the space helmet. But the astronaut that comes back after one of the uh, NASA satellite missions where two of them went and three of them came back. And when they came back, they were like, oh, there were three of us the entire time. And one of them is just an empty, alive spacesuit that's speaking nonsense and is like an altered item or, or, or some kind of sentient being or whatever. And they're looking at it as part of the FBC. Also just speaking nonsense gibberish words, but it is like having an understanding of what it means with it, within its own context. Because it does mean fully something. Because it still says the same thing for when it's asking for its head back and it's meaning the astronaut helmet. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm trying to find the the words online. I'm not going to be able to find them. But the point is, like, the words themselves aren't actually important. It's it's the act of saying them or the act of, of reading them or the it's this mimetic infection. Once you've read them... I mean, if you talk about, too, in control, like, uh, shapes and objects with association being given power, it's the same thing about words and language, right? Yeah, yeah. They have they have a, a, a meaning, a purpose. Yeah. There's something about... Even if the words themselves aren't conveying a meaning, stringing them together in that way and saying them in that way does mean something. Yeah. And it does something in your brain. It's an earworm you can't get out, right? That fascinates me. And I was like, that's a really interesting thing that it's not in the movie, but they're very clearly related. I'm going like, I, 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 no, to have to get the book. <laughs> I, you should do it. It's really It's going to be so good. Um, I, have an, I have another question point I was going to ask you. So this isn't necessarily specifically about control or, anni or annihilation, but on the note of like conspiracy th theories, things that are being hidden from us, all kinds of stuff going on around the world. Let's go with an idea that no conspiracy theories are true, supernatural stuff doesn't actually exist, and none, none of it's real, cryptids aren't a thing, blah, blah, blah. blah. Everything that is anything is just man-made. Why, why do you think especially when you talk about like, you know, for, for eons, like humans always have an obsession or some kind of like, mm. uh, like a, a, a attraction to the supernatural or like the, the otherworldly or all, all this kind of stuff that's so like uh, disconnected from what we're actual, actually experiencing in our lives. Why do you think there is that kind of obsession fundamentally with like society as a whole? Oh, that's a whole other podcast, man. This is, this is, but because you know, yeah. if you, if if you do argue that none of this is real, then and, but like people have had these obsessions for generations and generations. Like, where does that come from? Surely, there's, surely there's always going to be some kind of seed that starts a lot of this stuff. Uh, or do, do things evolve through stories passed on over time? It's both. The answer is both, and it has to be because it is okay. So. I mean, there are there are some stuff that, that are real. I mean, you look at like MK Ultra. No, 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 not that. But not again, that, not that's that. like government man-made stuff. No, 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 not that. I mean, our fascination with whether or not that's possible, right? right. So, like, okay, yeah. this really relates to like storytelling, and I, I'm going to toot my horn here a little and, bit. And people believing that it, that it could be possible. Yeah, right. And it, and even if you're sensible and you know it's probably not possible, 
you want it to be possible. You it's wish like, it's it like was. the chainmail thing. Like this is you the, want to be able to tell like, that story. This is, this is bullshit, but it doesn't cost me anything, yeah. and I want to be and like I might as well be safe. I don't no. want ghosts to get me, even though like logically, if you think about it, you would you would you could assume that ghosts aren't real. Yeah. Okay. So, but they could be. This is this is complex to unpack. So I'm going to say some stuff, and we might have to re-edit it or move it a bit to, for it to make sense. But okay. So as one of the reasons that I'm a filmmaker is I am an adherent to the belief that stories are the most important thing that human civilization has ever done. Yeah. Right? And that seems absurd, but it makes sense when you realize it's the very first thing we ever would have done as a sentient creature forming communities. Right? There's there's three things that happen. Even just saying saying one thing, anything to another person and passing on information yeah. in itself. That is a unique thing that even other intelligent animals, they don't have fiction. They can, we have evidence that animals talk to one another, that they have identity. And communicate. They and, do communicate. And have like emotions and feelings. Have emotions and feelings. We've, we've never yet been able to identify in anything other than humans, the ability to conceptualize the self beyond what is real which sounds, again, very complicated. But what I mean by that is... It doesn't sound that complicated. It's Well, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like imagination. Right? Imagination, right? But it's more complicated than that because yeah. for some listeners, it won't necessarily click until you say something like the ability to have a thought process about the fact that you think is in and of itself an anomaly. That's weird. It's weird that we, as the concept of we are meat and electricity inside a skull, but we identify automatically as more than that. Yeah. That's weird. The fact that we can have a conversation in which I understand not just my conceptualization, but yours, but that I can also tell you a story that we both know is not true, but find entertaining, that's unique. And we can we can find and follow logic and consistency within those stories. Yeah. To be like, within this context... This makes sense or this doesn't make sense and here's why. It's, I mean, that's yeah. also what we're doing on the podcast every It's exactly episode. that. It's exactly that. It, I love it, right? And it's so three things happened at about the same time and I, I, I could do the math on this. Somebody's probably done it. Let's go with we generally measure human civilization as having started around about 200,000 years ago. By that we mean we've evolved to a certain point. Our brains have gotten big enough. We're eating meat and we're starting to form communities. We're getting together because we figured out uh, not just nomadic being together equals being stronger. We figured out that we can work together to do things that are otherwise impossible to do, right? That's community building. That's the very first kind of we're forming uh, community groups. Some of us are starting to do agriculture. The minute agriculture is a thing, human civilization begins yeah. as we understand it, right? It, before then, blah, 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 do a different PhD. But huh. the moment we started doing this, three things occurred. One is we started offering sex for other things, that's that's sex work. Two, we started making beer. I'll fucking die on this hill. Beer is the very first thing we ever did as a group, ever, 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 ever. ever. I mean, I mean, I mean, beer it has like deep roots in a lot of history. We we understood the nature of fermentation in the same way that elephants and monkeys do. We knew what it was. We understood what it was doing. It wasn't until we formed a group and figured out if we work together, we can make this other thing that will get us fucked up and have fun and we could make it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? That's beer. 
beyond that, the third thing is we started telling stories to one another. Yeah. As soon as those three things are occurring at the same time, you've got the building blocks of human civilization. Those three things is all we've ever done, right? We do it in different ways. We sell it, we buy it, we build huge constructs around it. We called one of them capitalism. It's so insane, but sex, that's what it sex is. Sex work, beer, and stories. Yeah, sex, booze, and stories. That's it. Always has been. Yeah. Always will be, right? And and maybe one day we'll transcend that. But what's what's I love this idea that one of the very first moments of true human civilization was a bunch of people sitting around, you know, proto-humans, Neanderthal, uh, uh, what are the other ones? Hybrids? There's like a bunch of them, right? I, yeah, I, I'd have to look them up. It's, it's a different uh, branch of learning for me. But anyway, there's a bunch of these people that are sitting around a campfire that they've put they're built together. They're drinking some sort of fucked up moonshine that they've managed to make and they're all horny and they're telling each other a scary story that's not real. That's the very first thing. That's a good horror movie night. Great horror movie <laughs> night. And it's the very first thing humans would have done that made us go, whoa, wait a minute. There's more going on than we understand because we're if we're able to conceptualize a thing that we know is not likely to be true, yeah. but would be cool if it was. Even conceptualizing this other worlds and aliens. Yeah. Looking up looking up at the star, stars yeah. and just thinking like, well, what the fuck is that? Yeah. So this 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 inherent human need to tell stories is part and parcel of this idea of wanting there to be more, of wanting there do, to be do, do you think things the ability, that we don't understand. Do you think the ability the ability to like ask questions and and like wonder about different possibilities is a big part of that? Definitely. Because the okay, contentious point, it isn't, but at me I don't give a fuck. <laughs> all religions in the world, all of them are equally incorrect. Right, and uh, there are going to be religious people looking at me. This, I don't give a fuck. Read another book; you'll figure it out yourself. Right. I mean, it's also the minute the, it's we looked a- at the sun, we went, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah. That began every religion that's ever existed. What is this giant burning thing in the sky that is hot and things grow and and it comes and goes every day? And then there's the moon. What the fuck is that about? And then Asking, all these other white dots. Yeah. So we started making up stories to tell one another to explain the world. Which makes That's sense because is. there's so so many like so many indigenous cultures have yeah. so many stories and explanations for like stars and yeah. the moon and night and what it means and, you, you and know, all these connections. You can be spiritual. You can have uh, like I would argue that I'm spiritual, right? And 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 I I fully agree with the Unde- scientific I, I, world. Understanding that you say all religions are equally incorrect. Would you say that you're agnostic or atheist? No, I'm an atheist in the sense that there is no singular higher power that is in control. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I just that's not a thing. Yeah. It is so unbelievably unlikely that the entire universe is under the thumb of one thing. I just don't it's not possible. And even if it is possible, or fuck if, that. I don't or, want to or, agree or with that. Even if it is, it's not going to be anything that makes sense or actually even has any awareness. See now of you're us. getting it, right? Even if there is a single knowing entity that is omniscient and omnipotent. It is so far beyond the concept of human understanding that we could never give it a name, let alone deign to understand what it is doing. No way, right? If anything, the inverse is true. We are God because we are the only thing that we know of that is made of the universe that is capable of looking at itself. It might very well be that I don't think we're alone in the universe, but if we are, we are currently the only part of the universe that we know of that is self-referential. Yeah, okay. to, to, as far as our understanding goes at the moment, because like uh, also our, our understanding of the universe is so limited 
by like what we can yeah. technologically achieve right now, yeah. right? Yeah. And so to understand more about the universe, we make up fiction. We yep. tell each other stories to try to explain it, right? Every year we learn more, but all we do in learning more is ask more questions. And that's probably how it'll be forever and ever and ever. It, ever, is, ever. it, it is interesting too, being, and, and this is kind of like an ongoing theme of this episode, is like how much uh, fiction and, and belief of like paranormal, supernatural, all this kind of stuff feeds into people's experience and belief of what is real. Yeah. So you go like, okay, where did, uh, you know, werewolves come from? And you go, well, at some point somebody was scared of dogs and thought they saw a big dog. Maybe, right? A thousand years later, we're telling stories and making films and blah, 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 blah about werewolves. And they can only be killed by silver and blah, blah, blah. We've made all that shit up. And, and, and like werewolves has, has become its own unique identifiable trope with rules and characteristics that everyone agrees on. Yeah. Uh, for the consistency, like if you think of werewolf, if you think of lycanthropy, people know what that is. And we can we and can have expectations it. of like how it should work. We can add to it. We can do all sorts of things with it. But we all kind of get it, right? Yeah. It's a common fiction we've told ourselves. Now, does that mean werewolves were never real? By and large, science tells us and our evidence of the world tells us werewolves are not likely to be real. However, at least not in the way that we think of them. Right. However, is not the fact that we have generated a fictional thing that we all agree on in and of itself a Ma- manifestation that concept real? It is real. Like the concept of a werewolf. You're not likely to be killed by a werewolf, but if I tell you about a werewolf and you know what you that is. know what I'm talking about. So then that that mutual understanding kind of makes it, it reality. Right? Again, it's the it's like meaning to shapes and yeah. power and that kind of thing. So the tulpa is just take that a step further, and now it physically manifests. Yeah, that's all it is. So I'm like, for me, these questions and that's tying of, into happening in control. Yeah, these questions of of do you want to know more? What if knowing more is dangerous? All of this stuff we've been asking those questions for ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You, we build whole religions to explain why the sun rises and sets. We build entire civilizations around the concept of life after death because death is terrifying to us. We can't confront the true nature of existence without acknowledging that it's very scary and it's not actually for us. Yeah, That's a problem. So we build fictions to make it less uncomfortable. And we build fictions to justify everything yeah. for us. The core of what like we're doing everything in has, this podcast Everything has to relate this. to us. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're trying to figure out the core reasoning behind why things feel a certain way and why we like things a certain way and kind of dissecting as to like why or why not why something works and something doesn't and again this you know immediate uh maybe shallow example this thing is pointing to halo and why that didn't work versus all of this stuff and why it does work and it is that like kind of like the mutual understanding and an expectation of like why something should work and what we agree on works yeah like the we want there to be more Right, we want we want Stranger Things to exist because that's cool and it makes sense in a way that's fucked because it doesn't make sense. Stranger Things being just like Strange Things, not the show. No, I mean the show. Oh, you do mean the show. I'm literally referring to the show Stranger Things. I I I had I had that thought and and my mind went like you don't actually mean the show. You just mean like you know parent like things that aren't normal. No, I mean I mean the show and I mean this in the sense that uh, the idea. Actually, this is a really interesting thing. It's a recursive mimetic infection in the human society, Western society mostly. I haven't seen it pop up elsewhere. Very quickly, just remind me, what does mimetic mean? Mimetic again? basically just means like self-repeating and it's in your brain. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. It's it's where meme comes from. It is it is Oh, I didn't know that. 
Because memes are a, a concept or a thought that you share. Hence, hence memetic, memetic, memetic thought. Yeah, so um, um, something that's memetic means that it's it's self-understandable and replicating. If I share a meme with you, it's a meme because you will want to share it. You right. look at it and go, I get it, that's funny. I'm going to share that with somebody else. It's memetic in nature, yep. right? This concept of a secret government organization that knows the truth and keeps it from us, but likely for our own safety, that's a memetic trope that has existed for 100,000 years. Yep. Secret societies exist because of the trope, you not think the about, other way around. You think about the, uh, and you know, uh, almost two and a half hours in, I'm surprised we didn't mention this yet, but like the Illuminati being like an example of that. 100%. Right? Yeah. They go like, okay, if there is or, a real or, or Illuminati. Board of, or board of directors, or whatever, whatever like yeah. secret conspiracy organization you want to think of. Yeah. If there is a real version of that, it exists because we came up with it in fiction first. Yeah. Right. As a story, we've been telling ourselves this the whole time. It goes to somebody must know. Otherwise, what's it all for? So the sun rises because, and then you create a religion, right? Yep. And you go, okay, well, the uh, the head priest of the religion, he knows. He knows the truth and he's not going to tell us because our poor little brains would implode. So he has to carry this burden of the truth, the burden, the heavy weight of the true nature of the universe. And he might and he know. He only shares with us the bits that are going to make us feel good and safe. And that priest or that leader or whatever that position is in that group for any kind of context may know to themselves that what they're saying he's just making up and it's, and it's true bullshit whatever but he feels the responsibility to guide and make sure that like the group yep feels safe which is the irony in that the burden is real it's just a slightly different burden it's yeah. not the burden of knowing the true nature of the universe it's the burden of knowing that nobody knows the true nature of the universe <laughs> which is just as scary yeah so it's a story we've been telling forever it all relates to one another and you end up with a situation like this where you kind of go where did all this come from? It's a remix of a remix, blah, 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 blah. Why do we find this stuff so endlessly fascinating? Because it, it is the first story. It's the original story. There must be a way to understand what we see and feel around us, and we don't know yet, so we make it up. And sometimes what we make up is really entertaining. And we go like, I play Control, and I go, I know Control is not real, but it'd be fucking cool if it was. If there was an actual Bureau of Control, and paranormal items were real, and blah, 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 it would be terrifying, but fuck, it'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'm much more comfortable playing the game than living in the reality. And that's the thing, like, 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 even just like fantasizing about that, like, like that other world of that possibility and that kind of thing. That in itself is so endlessly interesting. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug one thing here, which uh, is relatively new, and our listeners should all go and get around it because it relates to this. It's the most recent telling that I know of this type of story. It's called the Back Rooms. Oh yes, it's primarily on YouTube at the moment, and it's got is uh, the the teenager, the kid who who's making them. Has I don't it, think he's a teenager anymore. He was when he started, but he 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 got picked up by A twenty four. He's making a feature movie. His name is Kane Parsons. He goes by Kane Pixels online, uh, and yes, A twenty four picked up the back rooms. They're making it into a film. I don't I don't know how old he is off the top of my head now, but he's got to be in his early. When, late, when, late, whenever very I, late teens. Whenever I saw the news about it, they were talking about him. Uh, he, it's his summer break in between, like the senior years of high yeah. school, where they're shooting, making the movie, and then like he's going to come back to his final year of high school. So he might be like eighteen. Yeah, he's eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah. So he's not like a teenager, teenager, but he's also like this is a wild turn of events. Right. And the fact that he's making a fucking feature film based on his based on his short films on, on YouTube. Yeah. Like when he's, as he's coming out of high school, holy shit, and that's the thing incredible. Is, there's a whole other question of how much creative control will he have? What does it look like to surround him with these people? Blah, 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 blah. 
right? Let's. I mean, let's, regardless, the kind of opportunities. It's very cool. It's yeah. very cool, but it could also be a massive curse because if he fucks this up, he'll never get another chance, right? This is like this is it for him, and you go, that sucks. But it's also like that's what happens when you give a nineteen-year-old this kind of opportunity. He's only going to get one crack at it. Well, I mean, also, to be fair, like, I doubt even if he does fuck up the movie, he's not going to stop. He's still going to do stuff on YouTube. He'll be doing other stuff. But it's the idea that, like, if this works, when we talk about in industry, we talk about, like, getting your big break. This is it. If this works, that is his career going to the stars. He'll do whatever the fuck he wants, right? If it doesn't work, he's back to square one. He has the 10-year apprenticeship. He's got to do multiple shorts. He'll have to do a shitty first feature. He's going to have to, like, earn that back. But... It's, and it is possible to earn it back. It is possible to earn it back. It is possible. But it's hard. It's very hard. What's 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 really going on though is he's tapped onto something that's very zeitgeisty. He's tapped into this thing of liminal spaces and the secret government organization who knows the truth. Right. Yeah. Same story. What he's done though is created a world in which we know so little that he has maximum creative control to come up with the fiction of it. But we love it because what we have seen, I what A twenty four. I hope to God that he does have like some kind of like not public kind of like Bible. He must. Where he, must he, he, he needs to know the intention, where things are going, yeah. how things work. Because I would all, all, all that is going to feed into the feature, and the, yeah. and the other writers that are bringing on are going to be asking him those questions. Yeah. And he needs to have those answers, or if he doesn't, he needs to sit down with them and actually like plan it out with them for it to make logical. Well, sense. this is this is the thing for him to have gotten the movie deal with A twenty four. They have had those conversations yeah. because A twenty four are not going to take a punt on this without knowing how it ends. No chance, right? So either they're going to help him get it there because he doesn't know or he already knows. And they're like, yeah, that's sick. And it, it, it might be a mix of both. He probably has like he, he probably has like a lot of details, but maybe yeah. like a, a lot of like the the um, finer bits yeah. aren't quite there yet. And that's where A twenty four can come in and really help polish. Yeah, and a lot of that is is the less is more theory of like when you do it on YouTube and you give us just the snippets, these little bits, these whatevers. That's why SCP works. It's why control works. It Doing works an hour and a half feature film, you have to have like a three line story. Yeah, a like you know, a first, second, third act. Yeah. You need a resolution. Yeah. Which is why adapting something like SCP is really difficult because it's not built like that. It's not a story. It's a game that you play. It's a world that you live in. It's a it's a story that you're telling. But there's no beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, right? the, the immediate answer to that, which which a lot of these adaptations would do, is to insert a character and just have their story told yes. through like the world or whatever whatever's happening. Which is kind of what control is. Yeah, you 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 take the world, and we don't need to flesh the world out heaps. We flesh out enough that it's fun to play in. But like. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of alter items that we've never heard of and they can come up with as many as they want. I mean, they even talk about in some of the notes in Control that there's probably altered items within the FBC that they're not aware of. Yeah. And it's also the kind of thing, like if it's not making a huge effect, either they don't aware of or they don't necessarily care Doesn't about it. Doesn't matter, yeah. If, if, it's, if it's just a small thing where like, you know, maybe, maybe we have an altered item that uh, we talk into the podcast and it automatically distributes online without yeah. us having to do work. That's not actually harming anyone. So who really cares? Yeah. Lucky you, you have the magic microphone, go for your life. There's a lot of these in the SCP wiki where they're harmless and the foundation just keeps them around because they're entertaining. Yeah, They use it in, in control. They have an example in the AWE expansion. Uh, there are two video game cabinets in there called yeah. Shum and Shum 2. And they're listed as they are altered items. These are not normal. Uh, but at the same time, they're very fun and they don't seem to have any negative implications. So they keep them in the break room so that staff can use them. Yeah. SCP has a, a coffee machine that will deliver you 
an exact coffee shot of anything you ask for. And they have all of these specific rules about like, do not ask for enriched uranium because you will get it. Right. And I, it will kill everybody. Okay. I, that, that was going to be my first question. When you say anything, yeah. do you mean anything? Human blood. So like, they're like, you can ask it for anything, but don't use it for coffee. It's the best coffee we've ever had. We know it's perfect. Just use it for coffee. If, and how there's do they, notes how about, do they like, enforce you, that? The last time somebody did human blood, they figured out that it actually you it finds the material at the nearest possible place. Oh god! Right, and like you don't, they don't tell you the story. They just give you that, and you understand the implications. And you're like, oh, so they they go through like they don't A need to enforce the, the rules. Yeah, they don't need to enforce the rules because the rules are really obvious. And if you fuck it up, you'll kill us all, and it won't matter. Oh so god. just I feel like coffee. I feel like I would be terrified to even just order coffee. But that's it. that's what the that's why the SCP is a fascinating little fiction journey because you get to do stuff like that where like if you put that in a movie you would have to explain it more. When you do it in the wiki, Yeah, you have to give like all all, all the exposition have to make it work. You have right? to you have to have like a 5 minute scene explaining yeah. it in order to justify what it is yeah. and why it's interesting. In the SCP wiki, it's enough to just have it and be like the people who work at the foundation don't abuse it because they all know what it is and what it's capable of and they just want their best coffee. That's all. Imagine that get, get it falling into the wrong hands though. Exactly. So that so that's why they keep it at the foundation. Yeah, you can't put it out in the world. We couldn't they they know they can't figure out how to destroy it. They've tried. And like, rather than put it in a box somewhere that we never look at, let's use it as the coffee machine. I mean, it still seems like such a risk. I feel like I'd put it in the box. Yeah, there's that, a bunch that, of those. That, there's like, like, just knowing that it draws it from the nearest possible source. Some is of them are fucking terrifying, incredible, and you're just like, fuck the genius minds who come up with this stuff. But it, it it does relate that back to like the reason that we love this stuff, and the reason that things like control and annihilation work is that. It's okay. Okay, I love this. This is so funny. The like, X- like the mutual understanding. The mutual or? understanding, but the the X Files poster. Yeah. I, I want to believe. Yeah. That's the premise of all of this. Yeah. The premise of the X Files is the premise of SCP. Is the premise of Control. Is the premise of Annihilation. You can dig into other ones about like legacy and self destruction and blah 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 blah. It's I want to believe. We love this shit because we want to believe. If you sign me up to go and visit Area X. I'll be like, first of all, I'm not trained for this one. Earth, would you pick me? But I'll fucking go. I'll yeah. do it. I oh want to know. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. <sighs> the the the. I was looking at the weird speech in Control. There's all these great lines, but one of them is like, um, it repeats like baby, 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 yeah, and then orange peel. And it's so funny because it's nonsensical, but it's somehow quite malicious. And when you hear- Because like the tone. It's the tone, right? You hear one of the characters at one point reference it and be like, or, like yeah, baby, 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 yeah, orange peel. And you're like- <laughs> Orange peel. But like, it's immediately fascinating. I want to know, what does that mean? It's fascinating that the words themselves aren't really important, but the the way in which they're said or this like, they, they feel like they should mean something. Yeah. So we can either infer our own meaning and go, well, I think it's this. Or what the game and, you know, things like Annihilation and, and this, this, this type of content, they're really asking you to lean into that question of like, you want to know what it means. And we're not necessarily going to tell you, but the fact that you want to know means you're going to come on and this how, journey how, with us. Yeah. Do you, how f- much do you want to know? Yeah. Will you... Will you strap on? Will you come on for the ride and let us take you? Yeah. It's so good. Fuck, man. Control and, and Annihilation works so well together. I mean, the new, weird, everything. Uh, or like it, all the little different like plots and connections and threads. I like, would recommend this to fucking anyone. Who, oh, 100%. Who, anyone who will like let me rant to them. Oh, my God. If you're even a little bit interested in this type of stuff, 
definitely check out the SCP wiki. It'll it'll blow your mind. It's 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 the I work of like thousands over twenty years. It's crazy. It can, it it may be a little bit daunting to jump on and see how much is there and knowing where to start. But I'm, I, like I, there might be like some handy. When, when you first ones. look at it, it'll have like featured ones and yeah. you can just sort of start or there's a there's a guide within the wiki to explain what it is. And if, I mean, if you look up SCP on YouTube as well, there's endless videos, like just deep dives into, into things. Go anywhere. You can have a great time. I'm, I'm going to dive in again. I'm going to find the Annihilation books. I know, I know they're not all called Annihilation. I know this is the first one, but oh my it's, God. It's called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Yes. Okay. Oh, this is... A long one, but a long one for a reason. There's so much to unpack. So much to unpack. This has been Control and Annihilation. Hope you enjoyed. We'll catch you next time. See you later, everyone. Bye. Bye.